Okadoke. I think this thing is... I hope it's recording. Checking to see if this is recording. No, no. I would hate to think that it isn't recording and that I'm going to sit here and do the show uh, and then find out later that it wasn't. But I see little, like, lines. Instead of a straight line, I see little things going up and down with my speech. So that means something's coming through on this uh, this cheap, uh, low-budget headset and headphones and whatever the fuck. I was thinking about um, Impossible uh, getting online and getting a better microphone like the big dogs do. You know, the big... The big uh, the po- the big podcast the industrial the the corporate podcasts you know but we're so um we are so uh this is like gorilla podcasting here <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, <laughs> and i'm not just saying that because my feet look like a chimp's feet the only thing that that um if i had a thumb coming out of the side of my foot then um i would r- literally have like chimp or ape like feet but i don't have a thumb i do have a bone spur which should keep me out of the military uh but you know what you gonna do don't want to get into any politics this week (laughs) wait a minute had something stuck in my goozle baby but uh it's uh my day off it's sunday um was watching some TV. I took a little nap this morning. I've been doing this deal where I I come home and I'm so fucking tired that I can't even hardly keep my eyes open. I mean, enough to even crank one out before I go to sleep. And I'll fall asleep for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes in a dead sleep, be dreaming. For some reason, I was dreaming about uh, Margot Robbie uh, today, which is a good dream because it's kind of like... Oh, that Leonardo DiCaprio movie uh, with Tom Hardy and that Razagul chick. <laughs> I hate when I can't think of fucking the name of a goddamn fucking movie. Even Inception. Okay, I'm sorry. It took. It, 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 if case you've noticed over the years, and you'll probably notice this more and more um, because I'm getting old, my brain is starting to. Um, not be as sharp but i did pull that out it only took me a few minutes where they would they would they both did they had uh like rooms like in a in a building in their brain and they would they would put things in specific rooms and that helped them remember all this stuff and yada 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 blah 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 can't really hack into that which kind of goes to the inception thing where you know um Oh, uh, fuck, what the hell was that mother freaker's name that was in... Uh, see, I censored myself. I, I've been watching too many Steven Seagal movies on, like, USA where they say mother freaker. But it was the um, the guy that was not Tom Cruise, but the other guy from The Last Samurai. <laughs> and I'm not going to look it up, but maybe I will. Let's see, let's see here. Last, I want to say Ken Watanabe... I wonder if that's who it is. Maybe I should just stick with that. And, and Because I think at first when I started to say that, which was my initial thought of who it was, I think I started thinking uh, Takahura uh, 
uh, Ken Takahura from um, Jesus Christ, not Shogun. What the hell was that one? <laughs> Yakuza with Robert Mitchum. You know what's funny is I'm going to be sitting here saying all this shit, and then all of it's, I'm just going to settle for my answer without looking it up, and all of it's going to be wrong, which would be pretty good. You know, it'd be a, it'd be a funny podcast, like an April Fool's podcast in uh, at the end of August. And it's only like 70 degrees here today, and it's the end of August. But we have a big... Um, Hurricane Harvey, which I think was named after Harvey Keitel, who was an actor that was in uh, Shogun and also in Lost Boys. And um, it's hitting our friends down in Texas. So, you know, um, give a shout out to uh, Dave Mack and Christina. Uh, hmm, who else is down there that we know? There's a lot of we have we have surprisingly uh, some fans in Texas even though we uh, are to the um, left of, oh, my God, who are we the left of? Rocky Balboa. He was a southpaw, so that's left-handed. Dig it? Yeah! That was Macho Man Randy Savage. So I'm going to get into this a little bit. Um, we got some events coming up that I wanted to speak on for a moment. We're gonna I'm going to throw in a few things here just to, to kind of mix it up, you know, stir the pot or uh, how you say, uh, September 8th through the 10th, Indianapolis Conference Center uh, at the Marriott in Indianapolis. Uh, it's going to be Horror Hound Weekend coming up. Um, looks like there's some pretty good guests there. This is one that um, I was going to pretty much annually. Um, and I still might. I have schedule, I'm scheduled to work that weekend. But um, if I ask for it off, I might be able to get off and actually be able to attend because there's some people there that I actually do want to see as far as guests go. And my friends Ken and Justin and uh, some of the others that are locals will be there. I, I think uh, from what I could tell, there there wasn't a lot of um, people that were going to be able to make it to this one as far as the, um, you know, the um, our... our uh, what do you call it? The, the the brotherhood and sisterhood of podcastia or the horror hounders. Um, of course, well, now one, th- you know, Corey Feldman's going to be there, which I think that would be entertaining, especially if if he played some of his music. I would I would enjoy that. Um, Sean Astin. Uh, James Marsters. Now, I I did not watch uh, Angel, but I and uh, Buffy, but I know he was a big uh, big uh, person that people really liked on that shoe. Looks like they're going to have some Angel and Buffy people there. Juliet Landau. I don't know if she's related to Martin Landau, but I know who he is. Uh, we also have some who's when it first came out in the theater and just literally was like, "Oh my freaking god, this this woman is stunning." You got a um, a uh, Sons of Anarchy dude there. I think it's the guy that played Opie, Ryan Hurst. Uh, but the main one, okay, Feruza Bulk is going to be there, and I have often commented on uh, because of her smile and her teeth that I think that she would possibly uh, be the kind of person that would do um, wonderful things, almost like an alligator to your, to a, uh, um, 
well, I don't even want to say because sometimes my sister listens to this. Uh, <laughs> Danielle Harris, who I have seen at Whorehound and who is very petite but very cute, very good looking. Um, oh, who? Uh, Clint Howard's going to be there. That was the how I was trying to uh, entice Emily, the deadly doll, into coming to Whorehound because uh, Clint Howard was going to be there. Uh, Tim Capello who most of you would probably know as the sax guy from Lost Boys. And the one thing that was drawing me, the one thing that was drawing me to this horror hound was uh, Michael Pere. Dark side's calling out, nothing is real. She'll never know just how I feel. From out of the shadow, she walks like a dream. Anyway... That was, uh, I mean, Eddie and the Cruisers, Eddie and the Cruisers 2, uh, Streets of Fire, um, Blood Rain Third Reich, <laughs> which is a which is a big favorite of mine, uh, Philadelphia Experiment, and, and Michael Perret, he's been in a lot of stuff recently. I'm trying to think what movie he was in just recently where he had a bit part. I think it was the, um, the Netflix TV series, um, um, is that Narcos? He had a small part where he was playing Barry Seal, and I was like, "Who the fuck is that?" And he was also had a small part, uh, a small bit part in uh, Bone Tomahawk, which I had seen and didn't even realize it was him. Yeah, Michael Pere, Tom Cody. Um, so it's possible that I might actually ask off and try and go to this and just hang out at the show and absorb it again because I haven't been in a while. Um, but it's possible that I might not if I can't get off work. Usually on the weekends, uh, you know, it's hard. But if you let them know ahead of time, they they can get some coverage. Uh, and then another thing I wanted to say about Horror Hound to some of you Yun's people is apparently they are going to be having another one. They're going to announce it probably right after this one. Uh, and it is going to be in November in Columbus. Now, the last time they did this, they did not... I think they did not have it in Cincinnati, um, and they end, and they had it in Columbus one year, maybe more than that, but I only remember one year, and I didn't go to that one. But um, they usually announce the next one right after the one that has just happened, and I saw online that they were sending some things out to the vendors um, about uh, one in Columbus in November. So we're waiting with bated breath, and I reached out to some of the our our horror hound faithful, uh, like Freddie and N O N O T L P, Night of the Living Podcast. Did I get that right? N O T L P, Freddie and Amy, and uh, and of course Ken and uh, all the all their their diehards. That's a that's a that's a. a was it is that like one of the longest running podcasts on the planet fucking earth it possibly could be i think i read that somewhere you dig okay so anyway um michael pere yeah he's if if michael pere wasn't going to be there i would possibly uh just be like eh but i i like going to the indianapolis one uh like i said ken and justin are there and they're my comrades uh and we talk about comic books and Howard Stern and uh, Jackie the Joke Man, and just have a have a good time. Um, I saw that most of the uh, of the hotels that are there's like three of them, 
The event is at the Marriott, and on one side used to be La Quita, and the other side is the uh, um, oh the the suites uh, Marriott suites thing, and those are seem like they're all filled up. But a lot of times, if you check like right before, you know they're empty. But uh, there's a Holiday Inn around the corner. Now there is a Nights Inn that has vacancies. <laughs> And anybody that's been to Horror Hound, if you ever walk, when you walk out of the Marriott, if you go to the right and go up to the corner to go to either Starbucks or Burger King or whatever there is to eat on the Strip, um, you go by this Night's Inn. And I mean, I'm telling you, motherfuckers, this place looks like a goddamn crack house. The, there, there was one, like, it's one of those ones where the door, open, each individual unit, the door opens up to the outside, to the parking lot. And when you walk by the one, the, the door is on the very end. It it looked like somebody had kicked it off the hinges and they rehung it and the, the wood was still broken. You could see footprints. The door had like a hole in it and shit. I'm like, ah, I'm sorry. I would not stay in that fucking place. Jesus. Because even though Zom may be cheap about some things, I have learned my lesson that uh, I don't mind paying a little bit extra for some luxury, baby. And I do, actually, I'm with Loaf on this one. I like staying in the if it's in a hotel, I like staying in the hotel where the event is because then if you have to take a shit or if you want to go upstairs and go to sleep or take a nap or or hide from everybody or do whatever, you're right there. And you, and, you know, you don't have to get in your car. A lot of times at these things, so many people uh, come to the event and they park in the hotel parking lot that if you move your fucking car, then when you come back, I remember one time I was staying at the fucking hotel and we went to eat. And when I came back, there was not one parking space in the hotel parking lot that I was paying for. So I had to drive all the way down the block and park in a subway sub parking lot which we went in and got like a sub and something to drink and uh, then when we came ba- when I came back that n- night it was like uh, one uh, midnight or one o'clock in the morning and I thought I'm going to go down and I'm going to go get my car and move it back because subway had, had closed uh, and and so I thought I'm going to go get-. and when I went down to get my car about two cars parked over somebody had busted out the entire back window of this person's car and I was like, holy shit. So, anyway, Michael Perret. Dig it. I like that Michael Perret. And uh, I'm just scrolling off these people. They were reminders. Um, some, I guess, sad news uh, for some people. Had some obituaries to go over. You know, when they say, it comes in threes. You know, you always hear it comes in threes. Well, I don't know if it comes in threes or not. You know, I usually just come. Uh, anyway. Um, let's see. We had now. This is one of the reasons why I said I'm not sure if it's a rest in peace or not. But um, as far as uh, legendary movie characters go, uh, I think that Billy from uh, Predator uh, was one of the coolest and one of the most badass, memorable characters in action movies. Uh, I guess that's kind of a horror action movie. But it, he was played by Sonny Landham, and uh, of course, most of the people in our our uh, group, whatever it is, our cult, or whatever, uh, <laughs> our social club, our our MC, um, no, Sonny Lambden. Um, he started out in like porno. Um, 
<laughs> which I always find amusing because he's got he had that real deep voice, you know. Which you would think, okay, maybe you know he had the big deep voice. So I'm wondering if maybe you know, like they say, I can't remember if it was the guy that was um oh what was that group called uh, that did the song. And they did the song, uh, Superman never made any money, saving the world from Solomon Grundy. And the guy had a real deep voice, and um, he said it's because he had three testicles, which, you know, probably a lie, I'm sure. But he, uh, Sonny Lambden was in some pornos um, when he first started, and I don't know, I, you know... Because if I did see, like, Slippery When Wet, or The Honey Cup, or Abigail Leslie is Back in Town, or one of these old fucking pornos from the 70s, if I did see him back then, I didn't know who the fuck Sonny Lambden was, so I wouldn't have been like, oh my god, there's Billy Bear from fucking 48 Hours, you know. Um, He definitely had a shitload of charisma. He played um, in some pretty memorable movies mostly as uh heels there was one i was looking for and it was actually called billy bear now he was billy bear in 48 hours um with nick nolte and eddie murphy but um so i think after that they made a movie and i thought for some reason i'm thinking it was him and maybe bo svenson or something but he was the main guy and um even I'm trying to think if it was on the, the I think it may have been on the um, um, Smoky Theater website. Um, oh, this is Billy Lone Bear. Uh, but um, I have tried to find that, and it is even the the people on there that just seek out uh, movies that are out of print and shit like that. They could not even fucking find it. So. That's one I would just like to see because I'm just curious. I'm sure it's a, it's a, uh, it was a straight to DVD movie, or it may have been made and never even fucking put out. I don't know. He was in Firewalker with Louis Gossett Jr. and Chaka Norris. Chaka Chaka Norris. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, Dirty Dozen: The Next Mission, which I didn't think too much of the uh, of the uh, Dirty Dozen sequels because they they were made for TV and. Um, Lee Marvin was like, by the time they made the sequels, which was supposed to be like close to where the original movie was made, Lee Marvin was like seven in his seventies and he just looked like hell. Uh, I remember Fleshburn because that one, I believe, had Steve Canale who was played Ray on the TV show Dallas, and um, Sonny Lambden was this uh, heel, mean, crazy. Um, uh, Native American who was stalking him in the desert. It wasn't a western, but it was like uh, um, a man trying to survive against uh, the elements. Plus, he has this crazy fucker chasing him. Um, he was also in Southern Comfort. Had uh, he was that was one of those roles where he played one of the Cajuns, and if you blinked, you missed him. Um, what else was this mother fragger in? 
Oh, there was one that I was thinking about that I missed, and now I'm all the way down to the pornos. But anyway, <laughs> oh, Lockup uh, with Sylvester Stallone and Poltergeist. But Lockup, he played a great big fucking mean asshole in prison that fucked with Sly, and uh, they had they had a, a football game, uh, and he just knocked the shit out of Sylvester Stallone just constantly in that. So anyway, but the thing about Sonny Lambden was later on in his life, he got involved in politics, and he said some pretty fucking repulsive and things that that are kind of hard to forgive unless you just kind of take into account that he was probably a fucking uh, a dumbass and was just getting on that um, that uh, uber conservative thing where where you you um, it's it's uh, anything you it's like they think that anything winning is saying shit that pisses liberals off winning isn't helping the American people, but they just think that basically just trolling like uh, Scott Bayo's and Scott Bayo's wife here just recently were saying some shit about the woman, uh, one of the mothers that's kids was killed at Sandy Hook during the mass shooting and saying that she and the woman from Charlottesville, whose daughter was killed by the guy, the Nazi that ran her over with a car, that they were just actors and that was all a false flag. So they just say stupid shit like that. Either that or they're really just moronic and watch like Alex Jones. And he talked to Alex Jones, you know, he says, uh, you know, the, the, the New World Order and the Illuminati. And <coughs> I can't do that. <laughs> it makes my throat tickle, Daddy. But anyway, Sonny Lambden, you know, like I said, as far as a uh, character actor goes and playing, you know, badass and mean-ass characters and shit like that, he was good at that. And he had a fucking hell of a look, too, and charisma. But he, uh, like I said, kind of a piece of shit when he said that uh, they should have ge- we should have genocide against uh, all Muslims on the planet Earth. We should wipe them all off the planet Earth. And that includes the little kids and... Um, uh, even peaceful Muslims that live that aren't have nothing to do with radical, uh, you know, um, extremist terrorism. G said we should kill them all. So that's pretty fucked up. Anyway, uh, I found out today that uh, Toby Hooper passed away, and of course, uh, you guys all know him uh, very well uh, as the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Uh, <laughs> Oh, what was the one that was a science fiction movie he did? I think with Steve Rails back. And I always act like when I'm saying these things, it's like I'm talking to you guys and I expect you to like answer or something. Life Force, yeah. I don't know if I have seen that one or not. There were some Toby Hooper movies, specifically Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I remember um, back in the old days when you only had CBS, ABC, and NBC, and you had the, those local channels during the day and everything, uh, you would see um, um, movie trailers for the local cinema or local drive-in, and just seeing the trailer for Texas Chainsaw Massacre and hearing about it. Now, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was uh, came out in 1974, but by the time I went to see it, it was probably... I would say 82, but it had, you know, the word of mouth and everything had gotten around. But not only that, you had movie magazines back then, but I think it was more word of mouth plus on the trailers that they would show on TV for whether it was Sunset Drive-In or Riverside Drive-In or Belpre Open Air. We had like three of them around where we lived. Um, um, 
that just I remember that one and like Devil's Reign and uh, some of the ones that that were just kind of scary, but also of course you know uh, Walking Tall and Billy Jack. I'm trying to think of other ones that I just specifically remember seeing. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the trailer for that was just really creepy and really scary, and um, so I was really apprehensive because even back then I did not really. A really, really, really. <laughs> I didn't seek out horror movies. I didn't. I. I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy them because I didn't watch them. Even um, going back to as far as like uh, Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein or Dracula and things like that. I just wasn't into horror. Um, but I remember my friend and I saying, "Let's go see this Texas Chainsaw Massacre." We we heard so much about it. It's supposed to be the scariest movie fucking ever made. And uh, I, um, one of my friends, when he was in like junior high, walked over across the bridge over to Marietta, Ohio, and went to see Halloween when it first came out. And then came to school, and everybody was like, oh my god, that's the scariest fucking movie. I didn't want to walk home. I was so fucking scared. I picked a stick up to to carry it with me because I was scared and all this shit. Um, And that friend, I mean, his mother was uber um, tolerant uh, and would let him do just about anything. And I guess back then um, they weren't too um, too picky as far as letting kids in to movie theaters when it was like a rated R movie. But um, so we went in in my big blue fucking station wagon. <laughs> we went to the Riverside Drive-In um, between Marietta, Ohio, and Belpre, Ohio, and. Um, which coincidentally there was a oh what the hell was that there was a chemical plant right around there like uh in between and when you drove by that chemical plant um you literally uh would everybody would roll their windows up in their car because there was this smell like you have never smelled before in your life i mean it didn't compare to anything it was so strong and so weird that um, I can't even explain it, but it was like noxious fumes. And, you know that's great. But, you know. <laughs> so we the the Riverside Drive-In would show they would show good movies, but they would also so show porno movies too. And that's where I think I first saw uh, my first porno. But but um, they would take like a hardcore porn and they would cut out all the penetration shots or like the money shots. So you still got to see the boobs and the butt, but you didn't get to see really... Um, I think they may have even cut out like the 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 penis and vag, like the, the, the genitals and the butthole. I can't remember, but I know that I thought I was watching a, a porno, which I guess I was, but it, it, was, it was clipped up. And I saw like a... Um, Inside Seika and Inside Desiree Cousteau and Bad Girls 2. I can't even remember. Those are some of the ones that I remember. Because you just sneak out there and go see like a porno. <laughs> but we went to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And to be honest with you, uh, and I remember even saying this at the time we were you know you build up that anticipation so we were almost like just scaring ourselves because of the hype and after we watched it it was like well that really wasn't that scary at all you know there were some i think the part where uh, 
uh, Leatherface, uh, the two young kid, or uh, I'm trying to think, the one part, um, the guy was standing there in front of this big steel door, and all of a sudden it just slides, fucking slams open, and Leatherface hits this guy with a fucking sledgehammer in the head, and then just drags him in there real quick, and then just fucking closes that door, you know. That was kind of, um, it was like, oh my god. But other than that, I remember, uh, I keep saying I remember, but I am remembering. Uh, I uh, vividly remember the girl that had, I'm pretty sure, either did not wear a bra or had like some uh, very strong nepalia. So anyway, Toby Hooper passed away. Didn't read too much about it. I'm, I'm not sure, um, you know, what he died of. He was born in 1943. Uh, uh, he was 74 years old. So anyway, he was pretty iconic. To me, I don't remember him. And like I said, I'm not a big, uh, big-time big horror person, but I don't remember him ever equaling that... Um, that um, Texas Chainsaw um, fame. I mean, he was there, and he was a le- considered a legend. He did uh, like they, the remake of Toolbox Murders, um, and that's another one that I remember the trailer for the original one, like back in the seventies, uh, Toolbox Murders. Seeing the trailer for it on TV, I was like, Ugh, I don't want to go see that. <laughs> that's fucking scary. If I go with a friend, I'm going to be embarrassed, you know, that I that I, I'm scared or something. But um, you know, Poltergeist, yeah, that was a big one. And uh, I guess he must. I don't know if he wrote or directed for Salem's Lot, the TV show with David Soul, who was Hutch on Starsky and Hutch. Don't give up on us, baby. We still have one more try. Well, guess what, David Soul? You don't have one more try. He's looking pretty bad. I saw a picture of uh, him and Paul Michael Glazer uh, going to an award show or something, and Paul Michael Glazer was actually pushing David Soul in a wheelchair. So I'm not sure what the deal is with him. I remember he was in... Um, uh, El Goro uh, t- with on uh, Talk Without Rhythm podcast is reviewing or just put out an episode where he's reviewing The Day After with Jason Robards and Threads, both of them uh, World War Three nuclear war uh, aftermath uh, uh, movies. And uh, David Soul was in a, I think it was a miniseries called World War Three, I believe. And I just remember that that was after Starsky and Hutch and after... Um, after uh, Salem's Lot, and um, he, uh, he, I, I just, he was in uh, with the, he was a like a colonel or something in the army, and uh, the Russians had were coming across the um, uh, Bering Strait into Alaska, and they were defending, you know, this is like um, almost like Ice Station Zebra, almost uh, defending this this place up in Alaska, probably the Aleutian Islands, because I, rem- uh, I remember. If I say that one more fucking time, um, my uncle was in the Aleutian Islands in uh, World War Two, and you know, you think, okay, well, that's a pretty good place to be. You're in Alaska in World War Two, but actually, the Japanese, I think, attacked the Aleutian Islands in World War II and went up there and massacred a whole bunch of, of Americans up there. So, you know, you weren't safe any place. And, uh, of course, we have idiots today that are, you know, all down with uh, the whole Nazi thing. I'm not down with that, people. And I did actually um, 
have to ban somebody uh, who was expressing their alt-right views on silver and gold. And, you know, like I said, I I hate to... uh, uh, I I don't mind having a political debate with anybody, but when it comes to our little kingdom of silver and gold, um, Loaf and I both are... I mean, I'm not going to fucking put up with that shit. So, uh, like I said, you can be a clue clocker. You can be a fucking Bolshevik. You can be a Satanist. You can be whatever you want on silver and gold. But if you think you're going to get on there and start spewing your views, I mean, I, I spew my views quite a bit on the podcast. Uh, but the thing is, my views are about helping people and uh, trying to make a wor- the world a better place for everybody and not, um, f- uh, they don't have a lot of, you know, like hate and wanting to kill people and all that shit. So if you do want to, if you feel the need, if you feel the need to express that you are alt-right or you're some kind of... Um, neo-nazi or a skinhead or a clue clucker or whatever on the group man you can fucking post that thing right fucking now but it'll probably be the last thing you fucking post on our group and that's fine you can go and there's other podcasts there's other groups uh and you can go with them but um and i and i'm sure i probably i know that i have friends and co-workers and family members that would maybe even sympathize with some of that shit but I don't even want to hear it from them but I have to because I can't fucking block their mouth (laughs) and you know what let's move on Tim Capello yeah maybe he'll be there and play the sax at at Horror Hound you know um, I would think if I was him it's almost like the guys from Big Trouble in Little China um, the the, uh, the the bad guys, the one that had the electric, you know, uh, like lightning that came through his hands, and then the one real strong one, and then the, I can't remember what the other guy did. Uh, but they were at Horror Hound along with David Lopan, and I'm not, I haven't looked his name because this is off the top of my, uh, just off the cuff. But um, they were had like a Q and A, and actually got up and did some uh, martial arts like katas and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. And I remember Lopan saying, I think like, uh, oh. Um, not Scott Adkins. Uh, Marco Zoror, he went to uh, Fantastic Fest or something like that. And like Marco got up and did a Q&A and was doing some of his his uh, martial arts where he does the flips and shit like that. If I was this Tim Capello, um, I would fucking get up there and play the sax a little bit. And uh, if I was um, um, Michael Pere, I might get up there and like lip sync uh, the dark side, uh, you know, uh, um, I don't know if I would do tender years, you know, oh, tender years, won't you wash away my tears, and uh, they could have Word Man come up there, which is Tom Berenger, even though he's kind of fat and old, I am, from what I've seen of uh, Michael Pere um, uh, lately, um, he still looks pretty good for his age, Tom Berenger. Ooh, boy, he he uh, he looks like uh, he didn't look too good. He's starting to look like uh, uh, John um, John um, Hurt, who got really you know uh, really heavy. 
I was like Jerry Lewis, and that was that was I think number three on the uh, on the it comes in threes was Jerry Lewis passed away, and um, I remember watching Jerry Lewis fucking movies when I was a little kid, and you know when I was a little kid I I thought they were pretty fucking funny, you know when he would oh hey lady and him and Dean Martin and all that shit, and then of course he was in. Uh, um, the the uh, <laughs> Martin Scorsese movie um, with Robert De Niro and Sa- Sandra Bernhardt. What in the freaking hell was that movie called? <laughs> Jerry Lewis. Oh my god. Well, now why won't it bring up what I want? But he was in Mr. Saturday Night with Billy Crystal and uh, let's see. And he was on Wise Guy with Ken Wall. Let me find it here. The King of Comedy, I didn't even see it, but it came up because I remember uh, that was what one of our friends from the uh, from all the groups, Roop, uh, Rupert Pupkin, Pup, 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 Pupkin, uh, named his uh, online name after. You know, I don't know if people have those online online handles anymore or whatever they call them. I, I guess if you're on a podcast, that's why a lot of us did because. We don't want people knowing who we are when we're talking about Feruza Bulk performing analingus. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, if I was her, I would, you know, she doesn't have to do it, uh, like, to somebody at Horror Hound. Although, if, if like, Justin Oberholzer, the cinemascus, was there, I mean, he would probably be the fucking guy that she would say, okay, you know, and pull him up on stage or, or in the uh, courtyard at the Marriott uh, under Tiki Torch Light. Um, like he, uh, when he was, uh, swapping spit with Linda Hamilton, I'm sure with his fucking luck, he would end up getting his, uh, salad tossed by Feruza Balk. And Justin has just, um, begun a new podcast. Where in the hell is that? It's the Suplex Multiplex. Uh, the Cinemascus is coming back. Uh, he has, uh, educated himself and uh, he took some time away for a while because he was applying his brainology to uh, some learning as we say in in the the hills and now he is back and uh, he's ready to start watching a shitload of crappy movies <laughs> and, uh, and uh, starting a podcast that is the uh, suplex multiplex but if it was gordon Soli, he would say the souple multiplex but that doesn't really fucking rhyme as much um so anyway people i'm going to start getting into some of the films that i watched uh over the past few weeks uh doing this one just to like i said you know once once i fill up a whole uh piece of paper notebook paper with movies uh i figure i better purge them out of my out of my brain while i can still remember what some of them are um so um let's take a break and i will then be back with the movies that dr zom watched that he if he can remember Put up, 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 put up,
dip, dip. The Silver and Gold Podcast. Bringing ass to slash since 2000-something. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> Squeaky chair, peppermint tea. Doesn't get any better than this. I have a pi- my uh, my trusty pillow behind my back. I was uh, doing push-ups. I do lots of push-ups every night at work. I, I mean, I'm probably doing at least between 100 and 200 push-ups a night. And um, my fucking, every once in a while... <sighs> crack. <sighs> there we go, cracked. Um, Like my back up there between my shoulder blades and, and on the right side of my neck gets a little bit fucked up. And um, actually, I found a thing that said sometimes when your neck, when, when your, uh, like your trapezoid gets like a big knot in it and you can't like just rub it out, you can't get it out, um, it's sometimes it is your collarbone is out of alignment. And um, um, I found a way where I can actually kind of grab a hold of it and put my thumb underneath my collarbone in the in the corner where my collarbone uh, goes up to my uh, into my shoulder and put my thumb in there and just kind of uh, uh, with my fingers around the back of my neck and push and if I'm laying back mostly like laying back in a chair or laying down um, I can feel something pop and it does it it relieves that pressure so um, I have not been riding my motorcycle as much because I I get that in my neck and like I said I'm just getting kind of old I did trade off my one motorcycle and I got this little motorcycle which is kind of a naked sport bike but it's it's uh it doesn't have a big engine it's only like a 300cc engine a Honda and um I like riding it because it's small and you can really maneuver around and I'm not like a big speed demon or anything but just even going slow I mean like if you have to make a quick turn or something you can just you know and it'll go pretty fast you know with crap but it doesn't have that real fast speed like a that real like a, a ninja or a Hayabusa that's just like if you twist that throttle you know take off and it's kind of dangerous uh. this one well, you know it'll go like up to 120 miles an hour but it it, it has it doesn't have a lot of power um and i rode it for about an hour the other day came home put it up and got on my other bike now that one's a 300 then got on my big bike which is a uh i think it's a 1200 cc and i'm used to riding that all the time and i my muscle memory got a little bit fucked up and when i got on my big bike i was cranking that throttle like i did on the little one which has no power and i was like holy shit man this thing's fucking way more powerful which i never even noticed uh, before so anyways let's see the first movie i watched or the last movie i watched because i did them backwards again um was a 2015 movie uh, directed by uh jackie woo uh, or aka well it's Jing Wu uh, aka Jackie Wu and it's um, written by Quan Dong and Yang Gao uh, and it's Wolf Warrior or Zan Lang um, now this movie one of the reasons I wanted to watch it I saw the poster for it a while back uh, is because it had Scott Adkins in it and um, I read a lot about this one um, 
when I was watching it or, you know, after or during, you know, um, multitasking, um, this stars uh, Jing Wu and Nan Yu, uh, Da Nong Ni, Zhu Zai, Zhu Zhao, I'm sorry, uh, Kwai Ma, um, and it was like, uh, instead of just Scott Adkins, it said like Scott Edward Adkins. So, you know, I thought that was kind of funny. But um, this movie was made in China. In China. In China. China. I can't do my, my uh, hair drumpf uh, when he says, uh, what about, you know, people are, people are always talking about Russia. What about China? China. Um, anyway, this was made in China. And um, it's... Okay, it's straight to DVD here, I'm pretty sure, but um, I got it on iTunes. But this was a major release in China, and uh, did like huge money over there. I mean, um, it ranks now worldwide on like the top, oh shit, I, uh, what the hell, it, it I hate to click on something and fuck my list up. But anyway, um, after they made this movie, um, it, it was this huge hit in China. And um, then after being released, you know, worldwide and everything, it it rate, it ranks like, um, oh my God, for some reason I wanted to say like with Avatar and, and Titanic and all these movies as far as... Um, you know how much money it made, but of course, when you have that many people in China. Um, but one thing about this movie was that I read was um, they they use like all this military equipment. They really put a lot of fucking uh, uh, money into it, and um, uh, it's an action movie. And basically, this this guy, um, oh, what's his name, Leng Feng, because this is going to be like uh, he is going to be like the fucking Rambo of movies from China. And uh, this is going to be a trilogy because they've already made um, the second one, Wolf Warriors 2. Now this, I saw it, uh, some places where it, this said Wolf Warriors, uh, and I think the, the second one is Wolf Warriors, plural, 2. Well, this one, uh, on the thing, it just uh, and when I got it, it just says Wolf Warrior as singular. And I think the Wolf Warrior is literally uh, Lang, Lang Feng. And... Um, but the 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 uh, elite they are what they call them the um, the special force of the special forces. So they are the elite of the special forces in China, the best of the best. And um, Li Feng is a sniper, and he's pretty much an all-around guy. He's not just like a just a sniper. Um, but at the beginning, he's a sniper, and um, some shit goes down, and he gets put on this um, this uh, elite special forces unit the wolf warriors and um there's some stuff that happens at the beginning of the movie that make him a target of these baddies and the baddie uh, guys um they they're um kind of cabal of mur- of uh, notorious or or um should I say notorious but the mercenaries that th- this rich guy hires uh, they he hires them to kill Leng Feng, and these mercenaries are like t- 
top of the line military uh, guys and for the most part they are all Caucasian led by Tomcat and uh, codenamed Tomcat and Tomcat is Scott Edward Adkins <laughs> Scott Edward Adkins oh my god <coughs> Excuse me, people, but here lately, I have this little tickle in my throat all the time, and it impedes my singing of On the Dark Side by uh, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, which I still am pretty sure that Michael Pere, you know, was the one singing that song. I do not believe this whole um, false flag operation of John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, because John Cafferty wasn't even good looking, so how could he sing like that? It's bullshit. But this movie has a lot of uh, action. It's got a little bit of a uh, little bit of romance, uh, not too much, just enough. Uh, with this one, what is her name? She had some spect. Uh, I think it's Nan Yu had some spectacular lips. I mean, oh my God, mm, nom nom nom. Um, but um, it's. Uh, I can see where, like I said, having the um, having the the help or the uh, support of maybe the Chinese military. Uh, like I said, they they used a whole lot of fucking ordnance, helicopters, uh, missiles, all kinds of shit, and it's pretty good. It's not the best fucking you know action movie, but if you go, I, I went into it like looking at it like. Um, you know, a straight-to-DVD, Asian straight-to-DVD uh, uh, movie. And it's one of the ones, one of those ones that um, I wouldn't, like, compare it to Saving Private Ryan. Like I said, it, it's more comparable to uh, Rambo Part 2. Yeah. But I liked it. I really did. It got a 5.4 on um, on um, IMDb. But you know what? I thought it was pretty good. And I will watch uh, Wolf Warriors 2 because the, um, I was going to say Gaijin, but, you know, China. I don't think it's, that's that's Japanese. Um, uh, Frank Grillo um, from The Purge is the, I think, the baddie in that one. He's going to take uh scott edward adkins's place as the uh as the uh american bad guy but i do like um i do like uh jing Wu. i thought he was pretty good um at first when he first came on the screen i was like you know this guy but then you know he he can do some stuff and at the end of this one want if you watch it watch it through the credits because they have some of the behind the scenes stuff which is pretty pretty entertaining because you know they're doing uh uh, some martial arts and stuff like that and you know guys accidentally getting you know knocked in the noggin or whatever and you get to see like Adkins and um, Jing Wu and some of these guys you know doing some wire stuff that uh, looks pretty cool uh, um, and there was another there was another um, uh, America I think he was American um but I can't remember. They had funny names for them. Like I said, Scott Adkins was Tomcat. And uh, let me see if I can see what this other motherfucker's name is. Dig you dig it. Mad Cow. One guy, the one guy, Kevin Lee, plays Mad Cow. Scott Edward Adkins is Tomcat. Then they had Cowboy Driver, Monkey, and Assassin. <laughs> I like shit like that where they, especially like Tomcat. You know who would think that? 
But anyway, let's go back. I didn't mess up my list. Uh, watch 1972's uh, John Berman. John Berman, uh, movie, a directed movie uh, written by James Dickey uh, from the mo- from the novel by James Dickey, Deliverance. Um, now this of course is, you know, everybody's familiar with this movie and they should be, I, I think everybody should fucking watch deliverance. I mean, this is one that if it's on your, um, uh, wall of shame or whatever you want to call it, you should watch it. Another one that I can go back in time to <clears throat> when I was in college and you heard so much about deliverance and specifically, I think back then, um, because TV was so tame, um, you heard that this movie was really shocking, but I don't ever remember really knowing about um, the the um, infamous scene with Ned Beatty and um, oh, um, I don't want to fucking just say uh, was it Bill Hickey? Yeah, Bill McKinney. I'm sorry. Um, um, we had just heard it was almost like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, because if you were on like the Dinosh, if Burt Reynolds who dated Dinosaur, um, that was kind of like the milf. That was Burt's milf phase. He 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 was from the South, and she was this Southern belle, even though she was like, I mean, like what, like fifteen years older or something like that, or maybe even twenty years older. I can't remember, but uh, Burt was banging Dinah Shore. But like you had Merv Griffin, you had um, Mike Douglas show, um, Dinah Shore show. And, but on, you know, today, if you go on Jimmy Kimmel or Colbert or something like that, they would talk about stuff like this that was in the disturbing stuff that was in this movie. And, and you know, everybody knows the squeal like a pig thing. And, uh, um, and it's become just this huge joke. But back then, um, they didn't talk about that kind of stuff on TV that much. And if they did, they would just kind of make a, a, a joke around it, but not actually say what it was. So when we watched it, we were like, okay, what's, they said this has really got some disturbing stuff in it, and it's supposed to be a really good movie. And I remember when the VHS stores first came out, uh, going and renting, like, all these Clint Eastwood movies and uh, Burt Reynolds and John Wayne and uh, um, you know Richard Roundtree, all this stuff from like the 70s that I had either missed or had not seen. Billy Jack, Born Losers, um, movies that I had either seen on only on TV, so they were they were censored or cut, or I had seen at the drive-in or something like that, but uh, had not seen in forever. And if I had, like I said, you know, I I had only seen it on TV, and you know, you you I remember like Big Jake with John Wayne. I didn't see the original cut. Um, you just saw it on TV all the time, and it was really cut up because it was an ultra, what I would consider an ultra violent movie. When I saw it after I'd seen it so many times on TBS, on TV, when I first saw it on DVD or VHS or whatever, I was like, oh my god, man, this is fucking way more violent and bloody than what it, you know, what it was. So we rented Deliverance and watched it. I think it was my friend Jim and my sister. And I watched Deliverance. And uh, when we got to... First of all, this movie, uh, I think because of that one scene... We, I've talked about this before, and I think um, um, 
when you see a movie like um, I think it was like The Accused or Irreversible or you know a movie that really has a violent um, hardcore violent realistic rape scene um, involving a woman um, I know like I said like Irreversible or The Accused and some of those even I the, the, I didn't see the original uh, I Spit on Your Grave, but I did watch uh, the remake. I started to watch the remake of I Spit on Your Grave, and the rape scene was so graphic and so disturbing that I turned it off and I didn't even finish it. And my friend Randy was like, yeah, but, you know, the whole point is, you know, it, that happens, but then she goes and gets this, goes and gets revenge. And I was like, man, I don't even care. That was so... Um, I don't know if I should say exploitive. It was so vile and grotesque uh, that I was like, okay, I don't, I just don't want to, I'm not getting up on my moral high horse or anything because like I said, fuck, I've watched porn where just about anything, but that's porn. This, uh, it was violence and it was disgusting, but it was done in a way that really I don't want to just say disturbed me it really repulsed me now irreversible um, to me did not seem it it didn't seem like it was an exploitation movie and I felt so disturbed and sad and horrified by the depiction of Monica Bellucci getting uh, raped that, number one, it stuck with me for weeks. I literally, when I closed my eyes, I would think about that, and I, it would just, I was just like, oh my God, that was so fucking awful. Because it put me in a place of thinking about that actually happening to somebody and what they were going through. Now, um, I spit on your grave, and I don't know if the other one was was it Last House on the Left, where they took the the two girls out in the woods. The people, the the creeps, took them out in the woods. It was more like I spit on your grave, like an exploitation horror movie. Um, that I felt the same way about, um, but I I. I think that I spit on your grave. I I felt the same way because I was thinking about that. But like I said, I literally shut that off because I was like, I don't fucking even want to watch this. This is, and it may have been because some of the people I was watching it with too were like, you know, I don't know. Nobody was like going, woo, you know, oh yeah, you know, whatever, anything like that. I just don't know how to explain it. It was too movies with violent depictions horribly violent depictions of rape which both of them disturbed me but I think Irreversible was such a better movie and it was more of a um, um, like I said I didn't feel like I didn't feel like it was exploitation uh, and I watched that whole movie and like I said I probably will never watch it again um, but 
my point was, and like I said, I've brought this up before, uh, I think on the show is, and I think Will and Sammy even did on Gentleman's Guide, is that when there is a rape of a man by another man in a movie, uh, there was the one... Oh, it was a TV movie uh, with Richard Crenna where he was a cop. And, uh, you know, in cop movies, you always think the good guy is going to prevail or whatever. And um, because he's a good guy. (laughs) And uh, Richard Crenna was this hard-boiled, hardcore cop and everything. And um, I can't remember because I saw it when it was on TV. And it was one of those ones where it said, you know, due to mature, due to mature subject matter viewer discretion is advised anytime they said that before a movie or that was on the thing in the tv guide you were like "Ooh, what's this going to be and it was almost like you you it set up this uh this this thing in your brain before you even started watching it like you were on edge like okay what the fuck's gonna happen but in the movie uh richard krenna's detective this cop um gets into it uh he's out alone i can't remember what was going on but he gets overpowered by this guy this this criminal and the guy beats the shit out of him and then the guy rapes him and even that movie i you know remember going to school or even with uh deliverance with the ned Beatty scene uh and people were like making a joke about it you know, it's like, Wee! and they still do, you know, if you say deliverance, squeal like a pig, wee, wee. and people make a joke about it, uh, mostly, you know, guys. And I think it's more because it it makes them uncomfortable or something. Because when we watched that for the first time on VHS, uh, nobody was laughing or anything like that. It was, it was very disturbing it was awful and you're sitting there and then i don't know how many people if they if they're like me you think oh my god what would you do in that situation what would you do if you were not only ned Beatty, but what would you do if that was one of your friends and you were helpless sitting there watching this and 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 john voigt's character uh the, the his depiction of him you know he they have him tied by his neck to a tree and he's watching this and he literally like turns his head away because he can't even you know he, he can't watch his friend being you know humiliated but not only humiliated but violated and it was just awful but then after the fact even myself and i mean i'm uh, maybe you know ashamed to say this even now you know, when when all the guys got together and you were talking about, you know, did you see Deliverance? Everybody, oh, squeal like a pig, squeal like a pig, boy, wee, wee. You know, I wonder psychologically if it's, I'm sure it's like a defense mechanism. But it's an interesting thing to think about. But this is a really good movie. And I read some stuff about it. Including that uh, uh, the writer James Dickey and uh, you know came to the set one day and he was a little bit in the bag you know had been drinking a little bit and I don't know if if Borman John Borman uh, what he did if he changed something up and Dickey was like pissed and he punched 
John Borman and broke John Borman's nose, I think, or knocked his teeth out or something, but uh, literally punched him out. And, uh, you know, just uh, uh, Dickey um, wrote this. I have James Dickey's uh, biography, and I have not read it. I, it was one of those ones that I kind of I kind of thumbed through and went to the index and, like, looked up the stuff about deliverance and read uh, those, those things. And, you know, he did a lot of this stuff, uh, like the bow and arrow, uh, uh, and the canoeing and all this stuff from his own experience. But from what I read in the book, he was kind of one of those guys, almost like Melius, who was a big bullshitter. Uh, you know, he said, you know, oh, you know, he, uh, it's like it's like uh, before the internet before you could look anything up i have i have friends like this and you know i remember my my dad and them you know talking about people that they knew uh well like the bruce springsteen song glory days and um say you know you had guys that were everybody that i knew and i I've, I've even said this where i work i said uh, everybody i must be like the biggest geek on the planet because everybody i know that works here was a great football player, a great basketball player, a great baseball player, was state champion this, uh, could do this, could do that, had all these experiences. And then you start thinking about it, and you're like, no, wait a minute. Okay. I think that some of these people, they kind of create their own legend. And no, I'm sure there's some of them that were, you know, in high school or whatever, were, you know, some great athlete or whatever, but not everybody. And I think that because, like I said, you know, every when when you get older and people are coming from different places, you know, you can just tell anybody anything and you can be anything you want to be. Oh, I was a fucking martial arts champion. I uh, was a fucking uh, in the, you know, uh, in the military, but I can't talk about it. Uh, you know, I was a boxer. I, 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 uh, you know all this all this shit and people especially guys i think they want to if they if they weren't um you know the alpha male or physically whatever then after the fact they can kind of you know embellish and then the older you get the more you embellish and tell those stories it's like the secret life of walter mitty um you start remembering it i think some of them actually remember their story the more they tell it and they start thinking that that's how things were i don't know or you know ah oh, screwed this girl and whatever but deliverance is so good and um i think uh, burt reynolds actually came he did a uh, a centerfold uh for cosmopolitan magazine which i remember my mom and uh and my aunt deanna had and he, he had his like junk covered but he was completely naked laying on his side i think and uh had that big mustache and everything and he actually said that he thought that um him doing that centerfold cost uh deliverance uh the oscar and i know and i and i do i i don't know who what movie or what actors were uh won the oscars that year but Burt Reynolds was really good in this, and uh, the one scene that I really thought that he was, this was his scene in the movie, that it was it was him showing his acting chops, was, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the where's, you know, where's the law, Drew? Huh? Where's the law? And he goes, you know, into this thing about, um, you know, uh, where where they are from, 
you know, in the city and they have their life and their businessmen and all this stuff. But out there in nature, this was the law of the jungle. And, uh, you know, John Voigt and the rest of them are kind of like rejecting that to a point like, you know, we need to call the cops. We need to do this. We need to do that. And he goes, listen. And he has this whole thing. He goes, do you want, do you want to, uh, you know, we can, we can just do away with this whole situation and nobody will ever know. And he kind of like, even like with, uh, Ned Beatty's character who is, who is in shock from what happened to him and, and, and all, and not only that, but how the other guys are looking at him and he's like, you know, do you want this hanging over our heads for the rest of our lives? And, you know, Ned Beatty, especially like with him, he, you know, he starts thinking, I don't want anybody to ever know about this, you know, but this is a really good movie and it's, it's, it's a tough, tough movie, macho movie, but it's also a really thought provoking movie. Really well done. I I would like to read, read the novel because, um, I would like to see how they change things up. I, I know that, um, Borman actually, who was a great friend of Lee Marvin, wanted Lee Marvin, I think, to play the John Voigt character, maybe, and Marlon Brando to play the Burt Reynolds part, because they were supposed to be, you know, not necessarily these young businessmen like Voigt and Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox was really good in this too, and he gets forgotten. Of course, Ned Beatty, everybody remembers him. And then you had um, uh, this movie really made Burt Reynolds' career take off as far as an actor goes. And then to an extent, he kind of squandered it, I think, uh, because he became so popular with the Smokey and the Bandit movie that everything after that, for a long time, until like Boogie Nights, um, he was playing Burt Reynolds and the tongue-in-cheek stuff. But not only that, but um, even like Stick and some of those movies. He tried to get a little bit back to being like uh, his his older movies before Deliverance, the older cop movies. But, I mean, he had some good stuff. But like I said, he got in that Burt Reynolds thing with uh, Smoking the Bandit, Cannonball Run. And that was kind of like the Hal Needham phase where Burt was just kind of having fun. And I think he kind of squandered a little bit. Voight, uh, they said that he had made a movie before this that really kind of tanked, and he thought his career was over. But then after he made Deliverance, it just shot him to the moon, too. Uh, but it's a good movie. If you have not seen Deliverance, you need to see it, Daddy-O. Dig it. Um, this is not Deliverance. <laughs> 2017's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Um, and this is a Guy Ritchie movie. And if you have seen a Guy Ritchie movie, you will recognize the style right off the bat and uh, everything in it. It's, it is a a cross between King Arthur and like Snatch or Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which I haven't seen that one in a while. I'd like to watch that one again. Um, I'll be honest with you. I heard a lot of people... Uh, one guy told me that this is one of the best movies that he had seen in a long time. Just action and all this and that. And I heard some several people on our in our circles saying that they really enjoyed it and everything. Um, I did not... 
Uh, I didn't hate it, but um, I, I'm not sure. And I've said this before with some of the other movies that I've talked about with Charlie Hunnam. Um, I am not sure that this guy is a movie star. E, I love Pacific Rim, and he was the main star in that. But even that movie, there's just something that I think that he is missing. I know that a lot of women like him, but um, he's good looking. He's got a uh, you know nice physique and everything. But I don't know what it is about him that it, he's got that Sons of Anarchy kind of swagger. And um, there's times where when he is trying to show his tough guy face, he looks like he smelled a fart. Like he crinkles his nose up and his lips and everything. And he, he's trying to look mean. And he might be a badass motherfucker. I don't know. But I thought it was funny they were talking about um, him getting in shape for this movie because when he showed up uh, to to for the casting for this movie, uh, Guy Ritchie was like, oh, my God, because I guess he was really thin. And he was like, oh, my God, how can I have this guy? And he told him, he said, I will be in shape. Uh, and you'll see, he, you know, because Guy Ritchie wanted him to look impressive. And he does in the movie, which one thing about this that kind of surprises me about Hollywood, because I thought he looked like, you know, he, man, he looks like a pretty big dude in this, you know. Uh, and he said he got to the training for this movie. He got to the biggest he's ever been. 190 pounds now i weighed 190 pounds like when i was i think a junior in high school (laughs) i don't i mean now hey joe lewis was like 190 pounds back in the day and that and he that was when he was you know heavyweight champion of the world boxing and everything but these days with with how big people are um but like I said, you know, when you have all these actors and, and and a lot of them are small people, if you're if you're in good shape and you're and you're big, uh, you know, you got some muscles. Plus, he's pretty lean in this and still has some has some muscle. So you know, he didn't have any any uh, fat on him. But I just did not. I liked Jude Law in this, and um, I liked a few of the mystical metaphysical things uh the this uh i think it's uh astrid Berges of frisbee <laughs> uh, she plays uh, a mage in this um i liked her but overall i did not like the style of the movie and i thought it was it was missing some st- i think it was a lot of it had to do with guy ritchie's just how he shoots movies and and um just his just his cinematic style was kind of distracting and any movie like this and i hate to say you know compare movies but anything that's king arthur i'm going to compare to excalibur and that movie was so fucking good i mean this that was like a a nine and this was like a for me uh, 6.5 I, I I just uh, it had some good stuff, but it, it was kind of uh, I don't know if I'd say like like a uh, and, and I I mean King Arthur you're gonna have some magic and stuff like that which that didn't really bother me that much like I said I think Hunnam uh, as the star and Guy Ritchie's um, 
directing, editing, and all that shit, and his his uh, how he shot the movie. Just I just didn't like it. That's the things that I didn't like, and that was you know weighed pretty heavy on me. Uh, next thing I watched was 2014's Z Storm. Um, this was directed by David Lamb. Uh, the writer was David Lamb and Ho Wa Wong, and it stars Lou. I mean, I, I want to say Louis, but uh, Louis or Louis Ku Ka, uh, Louis Ka, uh, Ka Tung Lam, Dada Chan. Uh, I saw a lot of faces in this that I recognized from other uh, Asian cinema. Um, this one was pretty good uh, because, and this. Uh, also, okay, um, Wolf Warrior was on Netflix Instant, as was this movie. They have a lot of uh, Asian cinema on there, uh, and newer stuff. Um, but I like this one because it was kind of a mesh uh, Z-Storm. It was a mesh between a kind of a... A blue-collar crime movie, like an investigation of uh, some Wall Street securities kind of stuff, but also had a lot of action. They said this was based on a true story. Um, Let's see what this synopsis says here. Oh, my God, I can't read all that. (laughs) Christ, that guy wrote a fucking book. But anyway, uh, I guess there was sort of like some Bernie Madoff shit going on with this hedge fund. And the because it's with a lot of the stuff that's going on today, it was pretty relevant. Um, all these Wall Street people um, globally, global like the bankers and stuff like that, um, because there's so much big money involved, the corruption goes everywhere into the highest levels. Well, um, oh, uh, William Lukchi Lim, uh, he is the head of this um, division of, I don't know if it would be like Securities and Exchange Commission, but I'm, I, I think it was more, it was kind of, I think it was IC, ICIA or something like that. They, um, are like cops, but they are a division of the police or a division of maybe like the FBI or something like that that uh, investigates um, these blue-collar financial crimes. So they can carry guns and stuff like that, but then they are butting heads with the regular police. And there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of corruption, a lot of shit like that going on. I like this one. It wasn't super great, but I I like that they kind of mixed those two. Like you have car chases, you have shootouts, you have some some uh, fucking martial arts, but you also have this um, intrigue going on with um, um, all these kind of this this big con. So I I, I kind of recommend this one, you know. Um, I don't know how to rate it though, because like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't like um, top tier, but it's definitely worth a watch. And they, I guess they made another one. Now somebody on the group said that they did not think that the 
the second one was as good. But I still might check it out because uh, a lot of times with these movies, they'll bring back the same people. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, you're eh, like a little, little, uh, not a trilogy, but you never know if they make another one. Uh, This one was really good, and I remember seeing the trailer for it and thought it was going to be. Uh, It's 2017's Shot Caller, and this was uh, directed and written by Rick Roman Waugh. Wow, W-A-U-G-H, Woe. Rick Roman Woe. It stars uh, Nicola Coster, Waldo, uh, John Barenthal. It also had... um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Jeffrey Donovan, who plays Michael on the TV show is it Blacklist. Blacklist. Can't remember what that fucking show is called. It's got him and uh, he's an ex Burn Notice. Okay, yeah, he was. Uh, he's really good in this. Um, um, the story with this is uh, a guy who's kind of like a middle class guy and. Uh, him and his wife and another couple that they're friends with are coming home from, I think, like a sporting event or something, and something happens, and um, here's this guy who is a father and um, husband, has a good job, and his life gets turned upside down, and he ends up going to prison. Uh, but, you know, from from actually from an accident, and that's in the first probably couple minutes of the movie. So it's not like giving anything away. Uh, but this goes deep into the um, uh, world of like maximum security prison. And from the first time you get there and you're the fish, what they always say that you're a fish with the big old gills and you don't know jack shit. And um, the um, racial divide in prison has a lot to do with the... Um, um, white supremacist, the Aryan Brotherhood and shit like that. And you see this guy transform. But it's not just that because um, I would say if you have ever watched any of the prison shows on TV or you can see them on YouTube now, if you look up like the Aryan Brotherhood documentaries, you'll get a good feel about what this is about. And I have some books about like... um, Folsom Prison and San Quentin and stuff like that and they talk about these guys and their code and uh, how they train almost like uh, they they are in there a lot of them for life and everything and they um, it's not about racism as much as it is about like you know they stick together they see themselves almost like a cross between samurai and old west gunfighters they they just read books all the time about tactics about about anything psychology art of war um they are as vicious as vicious can be because in prison they are even though they are the caucasians in prison they are the minority but they are also considered the most dangerous and feared because the, of of their mindset and and how how vicious and calculating and everything they are, and it's and it's mostly business. Um, uh, some like the Aryan Nation and stuff like that. They're like more like clue cluckers and skinheads. These guys definitely have the race thing as far as 
white pride and just white guys sticking together, but also um, it's it's not about that as much as it is about um, organized crime inside and outside the prison. And you talk about corruption, corrupting guards, corrupting police, um, and how they can reach out outside the prison to intimidate people and do all kinds of stuff like that. This is really good. I enjoyed it. Um, what was the other one that I... I'm trying to think there was another movie that... Well, American History X was sort of like this. Uh, and then The Glass House with Alan Alda and Vic Morrow, uh, which was a TV movie, but it was, a, I think, a Truman Capote, based on a Truman Capote uh, book or short story. Um, this is really good. Yeah, check it out if you have not seen it. It is on iTunes. It's another one that... Uh, uh, they have those ones that are in theater now, but you can you can rent or purchase. Shot collar, very good. It's it's right in our uh, I guess wheelhouse. Uh, next thing I watched was another one that is in the theater now, but uh, for uh, rent and purchase on iTunes, and that is Chuck or the Bleeder from 2016. This is a rated R movie uh, directed by Philip. Falar, Falardo, Falardo, Philippe, 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 Falardo. I think it sounds kind of French to me. Um, it's written by Jeff Furzig and Jerry Stahl. Uh, stars uh, Liev Schreiber, uh, Naomi Watts, and also Michael Rappaport. Uh, this is the story of the the Bayonne Bleeder. Um, a boxer uh, named Chuck Wepner from New Jersey, and he was the inspiration for the character of Rocky Balboa uh, in you know Sylvester Stallone's movie Rocky. Um, Chuck Wepner was pretty famous. Uh, he, but like I said, his life was pretty much like Rocky Balboa. He was kind of a a um, he was the New Jersey heavyweight champion, but he was one of these boxers that was. Um, even though he was rated, he really wasn't that talented. He could, he kind of was like Tex Cobb, Randall Tex Cobb, that was in Uncommon Valor, how he actually was as a boxer. He could take a beating and hang in there, and he was known for having like tissue paper thin skin, so that's why they called him the Bayonne Bleeder, because in every fight he would get cut and, you know, blood would be running down his face and everything. Um, Liev Schreiber is really good in this, playing Chuck Wepner. Uh, Chuck Wepner also, from our, our for our wrestling fans, uh, fought Andre the Giant in Shea Stadium on the card when uh, Antonio Inoki uh, fought Muhammad Ali in Japan, which was like a a total farce of a of a fight because it was supposed to be a work, and then Inoki was talking about behind the scenes, okay. Uh, Ali is like the most known athlete on the planet Earth and if I get him in there and Inoki had learned to to shoot and hook from like uh, Carl Gotch, Luthez and those guys and so he knew what he was doing and Ali had boxing gloves on and Inoki you know was just 
bare hands and and you know and everything like that. But they had set up like a um, a work a storyline where how they were going to work it. And then Anoki, I think, was thinking about shooting on Ali because he thought, well, what the fuck are they going to do? They're not going to come out and say, hey, it was supposed to be fake. Um, so I'm going to grab this motherfucker and suplex him on top of his head and then put him in an arm bar or, or a, a fucking guillotine or something like that and and beat him right in the ring and then I'll be like, my fame will be out of control. Now, he did do some of these. He Inoki always says, you know, I was the first mixed martial arts mixed martial artist because he did do uh, they were works for the most part he would get these guys like uh, oh I think Trevor Burbick he was a Canadian boxer heavyweight and he had him and then he had uh, Willem uh, Ruska who was a uh, gold medalist in judo uh, there was a world champion like kickboxer and stuff like that and they for the most part would get in there and it would be a work now i think with tim witherspoon i think uh enoki started shooting on him uh they had set up a it was like the ali fight where witherspoon had boxing gloves on and i believe that they had set up a uh a work or a storyline that they were supposed to follow where um I can't remember what the deal was going to be, but I don't think Anoki was supposed to, uh, he was only supposed to be able to punch or something like that. Well, when he came out, like in MMA today, um, Anoki, uh, Witherspoon had boxing gloves on and, and, uh, and he was standing there like in a boxing stance and Anoki started kicking at his, um, knees and his like his calf and shin and his knees and witherspoon immediately started yelling at the referee like what the fuck you know what's he doing and anoki did it a couple more times and he he was like literally saying you know hey motherfucker what the fuck is this guy doing this is bullshit and anoki did it a couple more times and witherspoon just jumped out of the ring and ran back to the dressing room because he was like this guy's shooting on me and i've got boxing gloves on and he knows how to wrestle he could drop me on my you know drop me on my head just or not even do that but just you know do a double leg take him down put him in the fucking arm bar or a double wrist lock or something like that or choke choke him out and make him look like a fool and that wasn't what they planned but i think Anoki again was trying to you know kind of pull the uh, uh a swerve to get attention but so anyway wepner uh they because vince mcmahon senior thought that he 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 said uh to bruno san martino who had returned was like in retirement because he had accidentally gotten his neck broken in a match with Stan Hansen. He said, you got to come out of retirement. We, we want to have a, a, um, a rematch where you come back and fight Hansen. And Bruno's like, I'm not doing it. He goes, man, I'm still not completely healed up. And I don't even think I want to wrestle anymore. Cause I've got, I've cracked the vertebrae in my neck and everything. And he goes, listen, if you don't do this, we may go bankrupt because this Anoki thing with Ali is not selling. Because what they were doing, they did it in Japan, but they were uh, doing, they didn't have pay-per-view back then. They had um, where you would go to a movie theater and they would show it on a big screen in a movie theater. 
And he goes, it's just not selling over here. Nobody knows who Anoki is. They know Ali, but they don't know him. So it's not selling. So they wanted to have matches here in Shea Stadium, the baseball stadium where the Mets played. Uh, And the big draw would be Bruno against the guy who broke his neck, Stan Hansen, who later became this huge star. Um, But on that card, they had another boxer versus wrestler match, and it was... Chuck Wepner versus Andre the Giant. And in that fight, it was a work. And the story goes, and I'm not sure if it was 100% work, because a lot of times the guys get in there and say, okay, let's do a worked shoot, where we'll pretend like it was supposed to go one way, but then so-and-so started going for it for real, and, you know, whatever. And, um... So he, Chuck, wanted to make some money. So he got in there with Andre the Giant, who was like, uh, well, close to seven feet tall. I think they said he wasn't really seven feet tall, but he was at least 6'10 and probably weighed at the time like 400-some pounds. And Chuck Wepner was a big guy, but all the, or, uh, Andre made him look like, you know, little. Because not only, he wasn't big like a, Andre wasn't big like a basketball player. If you've ever seen, uh, the Princess Bride, Andre was big all over. I mean, he, his fingers were like three of my, one finger was like three of my fingers together. Uh, and he was just a, a huge, you know, bone structure and everything. And uh, so that's, that's actually in this. And, uh, but now I wanted to see this because I thought from the trailer, you know, I was like, oh, this looks really good. Um, you know what it kind of reminded me of, and I wanted to, to look up was, um, there was a movie about the the Irish uh, mobster and union guy Danny Green, uh, Kill the Irishman, uh, that star- also starred Liev Schreiber, and it. When I saw the trailer for that, I thought, "Oh, this looks like you know, it's going to be interesting." Because I had family that lived in Cleveland, and that's where he was from, and everything. And uh, and uh, the trailer looked really good. Uh, I think that one, like this one. Uh, was on iTunes and never came to the theater here. Also starred Leib Shriver, and I got the same kind of feel for it. It it wasn't. Um, I think in the hands of somebody like um, Martin Scorsese, like uh, Kill the Irishman, uh, would have been like probably fantastic with the story they had to tell and everything. And the same with this one. When I saw the trailer, I it reminded me of almost like a. Uh, the George Clooney movie about Chuck Barris. I thought, oh God, this is going to be good, or or like a, even maybe like Slapshot or something like that. But the director, um, I think the I I just didn't think that the director it wasn't as good. I, maybe this they didn't have as the money or I, I don't know. But uh, just the way the way it was shot and like I said, I, I put it more on the director than than I do anybody else. But the one standout in the in this movie, Chuck, was Michael Rappaport. He was really good. He plays Chuck Wepner's brother, and I have never been like a really big fan of his. And now he's on Howard Stern every once they do the uh, fantasy football thing, and his his whole shtick and his whole gimmick is just trash talking like crazy and he gets on my fucking nerves but man he was he was really good in this i really thought he was excellent but this is worth a watch and it's got some funny moments in it um chuck was a quirky character in real life (laughs) 
Uh, next thing I watched was 2016's Hard Target 2. Uh, this was directed by uh, uh, Roel Renee and uh, written by Matt Harvey and Dominic Morgan. Stars Scott Adkins. Now, this is not to be confused with Scott Edward Adkins. This is just Scott Adkins. Uh, Armin Cholvibul. And uh, let's see, who's some more of the heavy hitters in here? Robert Nepper, uh, Tamura Morrison, uh, Rona Mitra. Um, so anyway, this, of course, everybody's seen Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Yancey Butler and uh, um, what's-his-face, Bishop from Aliens. Oh, my God, drawing a blank. Anyway, um, Robert Nepper kind of takes um, what's-his-face's place. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, man. Um, Christ's sakes, people. Give me a fucking break. Just give me Lance Hendrickson. And they, and I looked up Lance Hendrickson, and they don't even have a picture of Lance Hendrickson. And Michael Michael Bean, they have a, somebody else. And Sigourney Weaver, there's a picture of a guy. What is this? Paul Reiser, there's a picture of an African-American guy above his name. That's not Lance Hendrickson. I don't know who the fuck that is. And there's some woman. This is Michael Michael Bean, Corporal Hicks. And there's a picture of looks like Jackie the Joe. Or no, that is that is the woman that played the badass chick in Aliens, and uh, whatever her name is. And then um, Carrie Hen, uh, who plays Newt in Aliens. They have a picture of Bill Paxton above her name. Anyway, so whatever. I was looking for Lance Henriksen. Uh, Nepper kind of takes Lance Henriksen's place. I don't think he's playing the same guy, of course. But it's sort of, it's the same type guy character. He's the guy that starts, that sets up the event. And um, if you're familiar with Hard Target with Jean-Claude, they basically get these rich, this Nepper sets up these things for these rich guys who want to... Uh, play the most dangerous game kind of a deal uh, where they hunt a... I mean, it's been done over and over and over. It was done with uh, um, Ice-T and, uh, of course, the Hard Target, and then there's been several other older movies uh, that did the most dangerous game. Um, but this, uh, like I said, Scott Adkins is in it, and one of the things that sold me on it was that it had Nepper and Tamora Morrison um and uh, Rona Mitra is always pretty hot. But this one is straight to DVD. It's pretty much what you would expect from a Scott Adkins straight to DVD movie, even with those other people in it. Uh, it's not great. It's worth a watch. I mean, like I said, when when you're talking about a straight to DVD kind of martial arts action movie with Scott Adkins, uh, you could do worse than this. Um, like the one with him and Dolph uh, chasing the dragon or whatever that we reviewed but um it's it's it is what it is it's worth a watch but it's not great it, it's nowhere near as good as uh um the jean-claude van damme john woo movie it, it does have a, a a few like homage uh things uh to john woo but you know like i said this one is also on um netflix so if you can watch it it's free you can't go wrong by something that's free uh next thing i watched was uh 2016's gold uh, directed by Stephen Gahan or Gaghan, <laughs> <laughs> who, 
<laughs> written by Patrick Massett and John Zinman. Uh, stars Matthew McConaughey, Edgar Martinez. And um, one of the reasons, well, you know, I had heard some good stuff about this. Um, I didn't think it was great. Uh, I agree with some other people that I think uh, McConaughey, uh, like it's like when um, De Niro gained a whole bunch of weight for Raging Bull and um, some people like um, Char- Charlize Theron in Monster really uglied herself up to play Eileen Mornos. Um McConaughey is always known as a pretty boy with uh, you know, uh, uh, a body like Apollo. Um, he really uglies himself up for this role um, to show off, I guess, his acting chops and his, uh, his um, I don't know, that he's not just a, a pretty boy, which he kind of did for uh, Dallas Buyers Club, but he got really super skinny, which, my God, how dangerous was that? Like him and Christian Bale and um, Matt Damon, uh, all three have lost down to like under 120 pounds for a movie role. Um, but this is okay. Uh, this is based on a true story. I looked up the real guy, and um, I don't think anything was nearly as... Um, dramatic or as exciting as this. And from what I read, I don't even think that that guy, there wasn't a lot of information on um, Wikipedia about it, but I think that guy was more into gas and oil drilling, whereas in this movie uh, he's um, trying to find, you know, gold or some kind of, uh, not just gold, but uh, different ores like uh, whether it's zinc or I don't know, whatever fucking else, but you know, they drill and everything. I like, uh, Edgar Martinez or I mean, I'm sorry, Edgar Ramirez. Who's Edgar Martinez? Wasn't he in La Bamba with Lou Diamond Phillips? Maybe played his brother, uh, Edgar Ramirez. I like him. Uh, I liked him in the Carlos, the Jackal movie, which was like five hours long. That's also on Netflix. I think it might be the cut down version though. That was really good. Um, but this is this is good. It's entertaining. It's you know it's got a it's got a good story and everything. But um, I don't think it's like super great. Um, it's again maybe a six point seven five or something. But uh, it's 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 worth a watch. Um, Toby Cabell and uh, Craig T. Nelson are in it. And Craig T. Nelson, I always have to point out, he's kind of like um, James Woods. You know, the older he got, he turned into a fucking douchehead. <laughs> Even though I liked him on Call of Duty, or, uh, it's Call of Duty? Not Call of Duty. Call to Glory, where he played the, uh, the U-2, uh, pilot. And also in, um, was that movie with Dennis Hopper and Rutger Hauer? Osterman Weekend. He was good in that. He's been good in a lot of things, but he just really turned into a political fuckhead. Um, a moron, is like what I like to call him. Uh, so anyway, let's move on from gold. Like I said, that one's definitely worth worth checking out. It's on Netflix for free. Uh, watch 2016's Operation Mekong or Mekong He Zidong. Um, this movie also was based on a true story. It's directed by Dante Lam, uh, written by Kang Ki Chu, um, and it stars. What are all, what's all this stuff coming up on my Twitter? Twitter! Uh, Rupert Pupkin retweeted. But I didn't see what it was, so anyway. Uh, 
Joyce Wenjong Feng, uh, Bango Chen. Those aren't the main people. Well, anyway. Um, here's the deal with this one, people. I liked it. Um, based on a true story, it has to do with uh, kind of one of these uh, drug dealers that's uh, out in the jungle and I guess like Mekong Delta, so it's it's on the uh, border of um, of um, like Vietnam and uh, oh shit! I mean, but they're bringing they're, they they these boats are coming up the river and uh, they're getting attacked by pirates and it's modern day. Um, but um, and then there's a guy that's almost like a Pablo Escobar slash Colonel Kurtz. Uh, drug guy out in the middle of the fucking jungle uh, and he's got these little kids that, that work for him and a bunch of scumbags and uh, um, got a lot of action and this is a long movie it's two hours and three minutes but it's, it is it is for a reason because you have um, uh, it starts out as like a police movie um, in if it's like Hong Kong or maybe just in China. I think Hong Kong or China. Uh, China. Let's see here. They have a synopsis. It's a, two Chinese merchant ships are attacked in the Mekong River. 13 crewmen are killed. And these bodies start washing up and everything. Um, the one guy... Well, I guess it's like a... I don't want to say like Serpico, but kind of like a Prince of the City kind of squad of... Uh, of... Um, police that that are investigating these drug these killings and uh uh these pirates and all this stuff and the drugs and all this crap and uh a lot of it at first takes place in the city you have car chases you have kung fu you have shooting and stuff like that uh but then man when it gets where they go where they actually go out into the mekong uh, Delta and go into the jungle. It it fucking. I mean, I shouldn't say it amps up the action because the action is pretty fucking good when they're in the city. But when they go out there, man, it's it just fucking everything goes. Uh, you know, f- um, what do you call it? Um, full tilt boogie. You know, they go out there and uh, the, the, the fucking bad guys in the jungle are fucking armed to the hilt. And uh, the one guy, like I said, I, I said like a, a cross between Colonel Kurtz and uh, Pablo Escobar, but I think it was probably more like Tony Montana when he was just fucking blitzed out of his mind at the end of Scarface. And that's how that guy was. Uh, this is pretty good. I enjoyed this one a lot. And I like the movie posters for some of these uh, Chinese uh, movies man China. China. and there's a dog in this and of course you know I love the dog uh, they, they, they have a it's not even I was going to say a mascot it's not even a mascot this dog's badass um, next thing I watched was 1977's Cross of Iron which I was inspired by the last episode uh, this uh, was directed by uh, Sam Peckinpah I think I've heard of him somewhere uh, written by Julius J. Epstein and uh, the screenplay was Walter Kelly. Stars James Coburn, Maximilian Schell, Maximilian Schell, and James Mason. And um, who else is it? David Warner's in this, who played uh, 
did he not play Jack the Ripper in Time After Time, I believe? Um, this one I love. I've talked about it before. I think uh, when we talked about our favorite World War II movies, this one was the first that came to mind. It is very. Uh, it was done in a very realistic, dirty, gritty way. Uh, it's an uh, anti-war movie. Um, and one of the reasons that I really liked it uh, when I first saw it, it's done from the German perspective of the war, and it's not... Um, you do have, like, some of the really, you know, the zealots uh, and, like, the, some maybe, like, some SS guys and uh, um, Maximilian Schell! Maximilian Schell! Um, he is... Uh, I don't even think he is as much a fanatic as he is old school, um, maybe old school Wehrmacht, Wehrmacht, Wehrmacht. <sighs> my fucking tickle and my voice is killing me and I'm running out of tea. But anyway, he is just a pompous asshole and he wants personal glory. I want the Iron Cross. And, uh, James Coburn, who I love, um, Man, that guy was, like I said, they called Stephen Queen the king of cool. James Coburn is was a cool motherfucker, and he really shows off his acting chops in this one. And James Mason is the is one of his officers who is a more enlightened man, who, who is not a, a follower of Hitler per se. He knows the war is lost. And that's my James Mason. You dig it? Yeah! Um... It mostly follows Coburn and his platoon. Uh, they're a small, like, kind of like elite kind of force. Uh, elite mostly because they are veterans and they do a like a workmanlike job, and they're good at what they do. Although, and but they don't take any. Um, I don't think they take any pleasure in it. Um, they're guys that I think pretty much are drafted and they're there to protect each other and take care of each other almost like a family um, but um, you have the peck and paw style this is a a, a an ultraviolet movie too I believe uh, you have the peck and paw use of slow-mo and uh, like I said it's very gritty very dirty and very uncompromising um and i think it makes i think it has a good message i think it makes a good point this is an all-time fave daddy-o moving right along i'm curious to see what's going to come up next okay well i did watch the entire season of the defenders um on netflix and this is the marvel comics um kind of team up of okay they had the um Four people that are the four major people on this show had their own had their own series on Netflix, which was Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist, and they kind of all get thrown together. Um, and I like that how they did it. They they reluctantly end up teaming up. None of them want to. Um, like Jessica Jones doesn't she's like I I love her character. It's uh Kristen uh, Ritter 
and I just think she is uh, now the thing is if you see her as Jessica Jones and she is so cynical and so such a kind of a a smart ass but she's cynical and she just like uh she just wants to get fucking drunk she doesn't want to be a hero uh and all this shit but then i see her in some movies and she's like a pretty girl model like uh bubblehead and it just takes away everything so don't ever do anything but jessica jones kristen ritter because i love you <laughs> and she has like these red lips and i said on the group i was like man oh, i just want to kiss those lips anyway but she just is awesome but she's the kind of girl that she's almost like joan jett like if you actually if you did like her and everything she just constantly you know uh tell you to go fuck yourself or whatever but then every once in a while she'd be like oh this guy keeps hanging around get on the bed and just fuck me you know <laughs> and luke cage has fucked every woman on all four of the series and every woman i think in this series um so he's pretty cool <laughs> iron fist is still pretty lacking i think he was better in this than he was in his own series which was the the least rated of the of the four uh misty knight uh the the girl the woman that plays misty knight in this is just fucking hot oh my god let's see what was her name um Oh, where's she at? Misty Knight. Simone Missick. Oh, she's got a nice body. And uh, then you have also Electra. if you're a fan of... Um, and, and if you're a movie fan, Scott Glenn is in this. And Sigourney Weaver. Those are two pretty big stars for this uh, stuff. Sigourney Weaver was really good. Scott Glenn is always good in this. Rosario Dawson is also in this. And uh, let's see, uh, Charlie Cox plays Daredevil or Matt Murdock. Uh, Mike Coulter plays Luke Cage. Uh, Danny Rand is played by Finn Jones. I don't know. I don't think any of them from anything else. That's not saying. I mean, I just. I, I probably have seen them in other stuff, but. I don't know. But I enjoyed this, man. I went right through it. I was going to go see a movie, and I started watching this, and I was like, I just want to go through it. But it was only eight episodes, so it went really quick, but it, I, I didn't want to put it down. Um, so I recommend that one. Um, next thing I watched was uh, The Shoes of the Fisherman from 1968. This was directed by Michael Anderson, uh, written by John Patrick and James Kennaway. And it stars Anthony Quinn, Laurence Olivier, Oscar Werner, um, who Oscar Werner played. Um, I knew when I was watching this, I had seen him before. He played Fiedler in spy who came in from the cold with richard burton so if you remember that he was the guy that um when lemus um went out into the cold and was being recruited by the russians uh fiedler was the guy that was hand his handler that was handling richard burton that was in, interrogating him sort of but also you know but he was a a staunch uh you know um I don't know if I would say Bolshevik, because that was after that. I mean, but they were all Bolsheviks, but I mean, a staunch, a staunch communist, but he was looked, and he was really good at what he did as a job, but he was looked down on by the other, a lot of other people in Russian intelligence and military and stuff like that, because he was a Jew. So that if you'll remember, if you've seen Spy Who Came In From Cold, Oscar Werner, he's really good, and he's good in this too. And also David Jansen, who is a uh, Dave Mack, is a big David Jansen fan. Uh, from um, I think he said it was either his mom or his grandma. I can't remember. And we were talking one night about uh, 
Harry O and looking up all these David Jansen. There's all these David Jansen made for TV movies on YouTube because he was all over the place. Of course, he became famous, I think, really mega famous because he was uh, Dr. Richard Kimball on the TV show The Fugitive, which later was made into the movie with Harrison Ford, um, who played Dr. Richard Kimball. Um, When I saw the trailer for this, I can't remember where I saw the trailer. It just popped up. This is one of those movies, I think, on Warner Archive, maybe, that just disappeared and was out of print uh, because it didn't really do that well at the box office, even though it was a big spectacle. Um, I was really intrigued by... I think the maybe the movie poster I saw first, and then I looked up the trailer. Um, I bought it on iTunes, but uh, it's um, Anthony Quinn is a political prisoner in Russia, uh, and is in Siberia where they just work you. He just you know works on a pipeline or something, and he was a priest, and I guess he got. Um, in trouble with uh, the the communist government and for his writings or something like that, and they sent him to Siberia. Well, there is some mega, uh, almost like a, I would compare it to almost like a Bay of Pigs kind of incident going on with China um, and Russia. Um, is trying to figure out a way to keep World War III from happening. Uh, and I don't want to say too much more. This is a good movie. Um, it that what I just said is the is the nucleus of this movie, but it's not everything revolves around that but the greater part of the movie it's it's like one of those um movies that they would make a mini series out of um a big novel where there's there's that which is the nucleus of the movie but there's all these other stuff going on there's a lot of stuff that has to do with um uh the Vatican and the political things that go on there, and um, just I really liked it. I, I like Anthony Quinn. I read somewhere that they uh, they were saying it at one time he was the highest paid, least successful actor of his time, or maybe of all time, or something like that, because. He was a really good actor, and and people wanted him for their movies, so he um, demanded or got top dollar, but a a lot of the movies he starred in uh, were not successful, even though it wasn't him, it wasn't his fault or anything, but maybe he picked projects that just weren't that good or just didn't get over, I don't know. But I enjoyed this. It's a long movie, but it has to be because... um, of just all the stuff that's going on, but not only that, um, it's a it's a well shot movie. The cinematography and all the stuff that they do and that they capture on film is really awesome. I, I liked it. 
Uh, let's go to the next movie, which is 2016's Colossal. And this stars um, Anne Hathaway, Jason Sudeikis. And it uh, was written and directed by Nacho Vidal. <laughs> that, that's a porn star, I think. Um, Nacho Vigalando. What else did he do? What did you do, Nacho? Nacho did Time Crimes, Open Windows, and... What's it? The ABCs of Death? Um, I have not seen any of the stuff that he... I mean, he's done more than that. That's just the pictures they had up at the top. Uh, what was There was something that he did that everybody really knows him for that knows more about movies than me. <laughs> ABCs of Death. Carlota. That's a short. Open Windows. Short and a short. VHS Viral. Uh, that's just a segment. So anyway, this mother freaker, Nacho Vidal, or Nacho Vigalando. Nacho Vidal is one of those guys that is, um, if I remember correctly, is one of those guys that is so rough in his porno movies. He's like, almost like a, uh, well, he's definitely misogynistic. Um, I think Rocco is even compassionate compared to Nacho Vidal. <laughs> Nacho Vidal is just like a brood. He's he's kind of the guy that would be like a, almost like a, a rapist or something. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. Um, he's maybe a step above Max Hardcore because he's not as fucking gross as Max Hardcore. But and that's another thing I wanted to bring up. Um, I don't know why, but this came to me when I was watching Californication. Let's get back. I'll get back to Colossal here in a minute. I'm watching, or watched the first season of the David Duchovny Showtime series, Californication. Now, uh, for those of you who know porn, you might know what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't, I will give you a brief synopsis because this isn't just a porn thing. This is a, a, a legal thing. Max Hardcore is this guy. He looks like a creepy, you know, older guy. Um, he made these pornos that would cater to guys that like to see somebody, some old creep, have sex with. And, he, and when I say old, I would say, you know, from 40 to 50. It's, it's him. He's the one that stars in all of his movies, and he's the director and everything. But he had this niche, almost like um, I wouldn't say pedophile because that would be prepubescent girls. Um, his thing is like almost like a, a child molester kind of a fantasy where the girls uh, he gets these actresses that are really slight and thin, um, who when like I said, they, he always says you know they. The actresses he picks are all over the legal age, but they are built and look like they are younger. And then he puts them in like little school schoolgirl outfits that are not really schoolgirl outfits. They're like slutty schoolgirl outfits. Um, and he screws them and does all kinds of gross shit like peas on them and stuff like that. Um, in some of his movies... Um, 
he would ask the girl, he'd be like, she'd be like, hey, mister, you know, da, 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 I'm selling fucking Girl Scout cookies or whatever. And he would start talking to him, and then he would start having to sit on his lap and do all the shit. Well, then in some of them, he would say, well, how old are you? And they would say like 13. Well, like I said, they, they are, whether they're porn actresses or actresses, they're still just an actress. They are of legal age, but he got put in prison because they filed a suit against him for indecent blah 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 whatever now i'm not into peeing on anybody i'm not into being peed on i'm not into watching porn where somebody pisses on somebody in their mouth or where you know there's nothing for me that is erotic or anything about Max Hardcore's movies. He's gross. The girls, I'm not into girls that weigh fucking 90 pounds. Um, and, but it's one of those things that's a, like a two each his own thing because the slippery slope is okay, some people may be turned on by this. Um, if you put him in jail, then what's to say Jerry Falwell's not going to come out and say that um, Basic Instinct is porn, we think it's porn, and the director should be put in prison, Sharon Stone should be fucking arrested, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, Max Hardcore was put in prison. He was found guilty of indecent yada, yada, yada. They brought up the fact that in some of his movies... Uh, the girl in the scene and she is a girl a, a woman of legal age playing the part of an underage girl and saying that she is 13 or whatever Okay, now my point is I watched Californication uh, with David Duchovny which is a very successful series on Showtime and David Duchovny is this kind of down on his luck writer with writer's block it's kind of a sex addict and you know one of those ones kind of like sex in the city where just titty falls into his lap he'll be sitting at a stoplight and a girl will be like hey you know and i don't think and david duchovny kind of looks like a slob in this and he drives a, a porsche that ha, it's just an old beat up piece of shit with a fucking light missing and it's just a piece of junk but every woman he sees as soon as they see him they want to fuck him you know so it's kind of like a like a sex in the city kind of thing it's got some titillating stuff in it and everything and some sex scenes nudity and everything now susan Sar- i believe it's susan sarandon's daughter is in this and she meets david duchovny in a bookstore he's in, she's sitting there looking at his novel he's written one uh big novel or a big famous book that made him famous and then they turn it into a movie uh, which he hates because it's like a Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes movie and they, they changed everything around and he's disgusted by it, but he has writer's block so anyway, they meet they hit it off and they go back to his place or her place or wherever and they fuck uh, and it's a fairly explicit sex scene where you know she's completely naked she's riding him and fucking him and everything else now, later on in the series, he meets her in another circumstance uh, by accident and is like, oh, there's that girl. And he finds out that she is 
underage. She's 16 years old. Okay. Now, I don't know how old Susan Sarandon's daughter is, but I assume that she's of legal age. In that show, she has a sex scene with David Duchovny, and she says, after the fact, he, she is 16 years old. Okay, why are the, why is the director or writer or whatever of Californication not arrested and put on trial like Max Hardcore? Now, again, I think Max Hardcore is fucking gross. I think he is probably a pretty fucked up guy, but that's just my opinion because, like I said, I like women who look like women. Uh, I have no interest in anyone sexually that's underage. Um, he, to me, this is just my opinion, is that he's a creepy kind of a scumbag. But, unless he was actually having sex with an underage girl, it's still just a movie scene. If the actresses are all of legal age, you have movies today like Nymphomaniac 1 and 2, Lars Van Trier, I guess, and uh, there are, uh, what was the, Blue is the Collar, or whatever that movie is about the lesbian girls. And there have been several movies made recently that have sex in them where the actors and actresses have sex or it is simulated to the point that it looks like there is penetration and they are having sex now the ethical and legal question is whether you like Max Hardcore or not porn is not illegal in the United States as long as it is people of legal age consenting adults and the girls consent. Now, I may get the fucking thing about the case wrong because I think there was one girl that said they showed some clips or something and it, all his sex scenes in the movies are very, um, what do you call it, like Mondo or whatever you want to call it, extreme, where, you know, he's just rough and maybe slap the girl across the face or you know the girl's makeup's running he takes lipstick and rubs it all over their little face and everything just kind of almost like a repulsive for me like I said repulsive some people might get off on it I don't know um, but you're walking a fine line of censorship of who is who who decides what's right and wrong between legal adults if the actresses agree to do the scene they sign a thing that says I'm willing to do this 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 and this they are of legal age they've been checked out and they're all of legal age then they are still performing a scene in a movie and they agreed to it there's a script or whatever you know I'm, I know what I'm you know how how uh, 
the 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 catch twenty two, like I said, you know. But you have Kevin Bacon in The Woodsman playing a pedo- convicted pedophile, and he a girl sits on his lap in the park and all this and that. You have the movie Lolita, uh, the classic movie. Um, Charles Bronson was in a movie. Uh, I can't remember what that one was called, but where he's in England, I think, or something, and he's dating a girl, and he is probably thirty something, and she's fifteen, and her parents know it, and all this shit. Um, like I said, I don't like Max Hardcore. I think that a. I think that. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, he walks the fine line of saying, "Okay, these are these his movies are um, geared towards men who have a maybe a fantasy about an underage girl, or maybe they." like women who have a slight build I don't know but again it's a movie it's scripted the people in the movie are of age Um, some people make the argument would you rather have a there's two sides of this argument a guy who's attracted to underage girls watching Max Hardcore movies jacking off and to curb their whatever. And then some people on the other side of that would say, well, if someone is a child molester, then his movies might inspire or turn them on to where they want to fulfill their fantasy. But my whole point is, when I saw Californication, was here's Susan Sarandon's daughter, who is built like a brick shit house. She takes after her mom for sure. But she is saying they are saying in the in the show that she is 16 years old and she had a sex scene with David Duchovny. Now, also in, to 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 also add something to that. When they had sex, she didn't say I'm 16 and he said let's fuck, you know. But even if they did, it would still just be a a part of a movie in a movie script. Um, so I don't know. I, I, like I said, I'm not for censorship, but I also think, I don't know if, I, I just think it's weird that the guy went to prison. You know, he he's a scumbag, but I don't know. Should you go to jail for being a scumbag as long as you're not having sex with actual underage women or boys? And it's just an actress or an actor playing that part. I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting question. I don't know if anybody would want to chime in because it it is a a a, a touchy subject as far as being an ethical question. And I I kind of would like to hear what some people might think about that. I mean I don't know if anybody would even care or even think it's interesting or not, but it just came to my mind, and like I said, I'm going to look up how old Susan Sarandon's daughter is, because, <laughs> oh my god, um, and she was really, she's she's really good, 
uh, in the part. Let's see how old she is. She's well, hell, she's 32 now. When was Californication out? The first season of Californication. She was born in 85. Oh my God, hell, I fucking graduated high school in 84. So I'm probably more liable to get Susan Sarandon um, than her daughter. Um, Californication. And as far as that show goes, it's entertaining, but about half... Okay, 2007, 85. Well, she was in her 20s, so I mean, but still... You know, I don't know. That's just something that I just brought up for no reason. But like I said, she's she's in a bikini a lot. The show, like I said, I I it kind of reminded me of, um, like I said, a Sex in the City show. It's entertaining, but it is what it is. I, I there was there were some times toward the middle of the season where I'm like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. I mean, talk talk about exploitation because I mean. But it's it's worth watching. I, it's it's one of, like Sex in the City when it was on. My girlfriend and I watched it like religiously. That was her show, and and I like I thought it was good. And I really got into the Chris Noth as Mister Big and Aiden and Carrie and all that shit. But um, after we watched the whole thing, and then she and I ended up breaking up. And everything, I don't give a fuck if I ever see that show again. <laughs> uh, maybe it brings back bad memories. Um, Let's see here. Okay, Colossal 2016 uh, by Nacho Vigalando. And I like how I started saying Nacho Vidal and that all morphed into about a fucking 45-minute conversation about uh, censorship and porn. Uh, (laughs) Anne Hathaway is in this. And uh, I will say this. um, I don't know at one time here in the past, like maybe year or so, I had a dream that for some reason Anne Hathaway... Uh, I met Anne Hathaway. Uh, she wasn't Anne Hathaway. She was, but she wasn't like famous. And I met her, and like we just hit it off, and everything just was great. And then after that, I was like, "Oh my God, I just I like her now," you know, because it's like you have that dream crush, where it's like you actually met somebody in your dream, and it kicks off all these pheromones and everything. When you wake up, you're like, "Oh my God," you know. And then of course, when she was in, when she played Catwoman in Batman wearing those uh, clothes and yeah, yeah, she was nice anyway, I have kind of, I don't know if I would say I have mixed feelings about this movie um I had heard about it, I heard it was good saw the trailer for it and I kind of had a gist of what it was uh I guess I'm a little bit torn because it I thought it was going to go one way I'm glad that it didn't because that was the obvious way. But the way that it did go was, I don't know if I would say unsatisfying, but it was dark and mean. And um, I don't know. There's a part of me that wishes it would have went the nice way. But then there's a part of it, a part of me that I appreciate that I couldn't just call it and that it went a totally different direction that I didn't think it was going to go. Um, In some ways, um, now that I'm sitting here, I didn't even think about this until just now. What I'm talking about is it kind of, well, I don't know if I want to say anything. There's another movie that how it ends up 
it sort of reminds me of another movie. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to say anything about it. Anne Hathaway is schlubbing it up in this uh, quite a bit. Uh, as I talked about Matthew McConaughey, not too bad, but I mean, you know, she, she's uh, still got her big toothy smile, which before I didn't like, but then after I fell in love with her and she was like uh, digging my vibe in my dream, and now I like her big bozo smile. <laughs> anyway, um, this was different, uh, and like I said, I think it, I, I like the the ha- that this Nacho Vigalando. Uh, I like how he where he where he took it, but I don't like where he took it too. Why couldn't it be nice? But why should it be right? Dig it. So anyway, Anne Hathaway, uh, I'm available. Toothy. <laughs> anyway, I just put down here uh, that I uh, I haven't watched it yet, but um, I got uh, Broadway Danny Rose uh, from 1984, uh, written and directed by Woody Allen. Uh, Woody Allen, Mia Farrow. Who else is in this song, bitch? Uh, I'm not seeing a lot. Milton Berle. Ooh. I was just reading something about his giant penis the other day, or listening to him talk about it on Stern or something. Anyway, uh, I need to get on this. Um, I don't know if it's out of print or what, but I um, I was surprised that there's not a Blu-ray of this and that there's not a a new DVD version out there of this. Uh, I guess I could have got it on iTunes and probably got it. I'm not sure. No, I don't think they didn't have it on there, so I actually did have to get on Amazon and buy a used copy of this. And I was surprised because one of the reasons I wanted to get it is that I had um, been reading something and someone saying that this was one of his best movies. Um, so I need to check it out. It's in my dig it. There's a gnat. Um, good gnat. <laughs> anyway, um, I've been meaning to watch it, but for some reason I got involved with, uh, some Netflix, uh, Chinese movies and, uh, also, um, I don't know, Scott Edward Adkins. Broadway Danny Rose. I'll be watching that shortly. Let you know. I watched uh, Focus. Uh, this is 2015, uh, directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Rechwa. And it was written by Glenn Ficarra and John Rechwa. Uh, Margot Robbie's in this. Um, hmm. I would rather watch uh, Harry in my pocket or Harry. What is it? Let's see. Hang on. Harry in your pocket with James Coburn and Michael Sarazen Um, but let's see who was the girl oh Trish Vandeveer who ended up being becoming uh, Inc and uh, Walter Pidgeon but uh, Trish Vandeveer who later became George C. Scott's wife um it's sort of like that uh Will Smith I don't know. People, uh, it it was all right. It's worth a watch, number one, because Margot Robbie is just stunningly good-looking. But uh, she's not a super great actress. Um, Will Smith, you know, I liked him in the fucking remake of um, Omega Man. Uh, but... I like the dog in that. <laughs> that reminds me of Bingo in Mekong, Operation Mekong. He was kind of like a Bingo the dog in Operation Mekong is sort of like Will Smith's dog in 
the remake of uh, I well it's I Am Legend, but I was going to say the re- remake of Omega Man. I wonder why Charlton Heston. I can't remember. I don't think he had a dog in that movie. He should have had a dog. Um, anyway, um, this is one of those con movies that uh, you know it 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 twists you in a bunch of who's playing who. They even the con people that know that the other person is a con and they work together, but then. It, are they being conned or is it not? But it's kind of like um, somebody said, "This ain't no, st- this ain't no sting." And I'm not talking about uh, you know from the from the rock group, the Police, or the uh, wrestler Steve Borden. Um, Harry in your pocket with James Coburn, I would recommend that one or the movie Pickpocket. I think that was a French movie, black and white, which is really good. That's like so good. Uh, there's a lot of pickpocketing stuff in this at first, but then it goes into, you know, uh, almost like the grifters where they're doing the con, and then the one person's like, what about the big con? Eh, we don't do the big con. Well, you know, well, why not? You know, we can make a bunch of money and never have to do this again. Yeah, if you work the long con, it's, you know, and then... <coughs> Hang on. The uh, And I'm down to my last probably... Not even a half inch of, like a quarter inch of tea, so we better be wrapping this up. I don't know why I'm getting this tickle in my throat all the time now, even at work. And like I said, when, I, when I'm when i singing in the shower, I even have a little gravel right now. But um, maybe I ought to uh, uh, have some lemon juice or something and some water or warm hot tea. Um, Harry in Your Pocket with James Coburn is really good i like it i love james coburn as i said before in the uh, cross of iron and uh um uh, that one i just watched about the um uh where they uh the uh, sky riders which is on netflix i talked about that before on on one of my solo shows um or not netflix it's on youtube for free i thought that was so good um but anyway focus is okay i don't think Will Smith and Margot Robbie, or Robbie, um, I don't think there was that great of chemistry between the two, but not only that, I don't think either one of them, I think if like George Clooney, or even maybe like Idris Elba, or somebody like, I don't know if Will Smith is... He's a little. He's better than I think Charlie Hunnam, but <laughs> not a lot better. I mean, he. I know that he is famous, and I've heard him mentioned several times for, like the lead in you know the remake of Seven Sam or not Seven Samurai or uh, Magnuson Seven, and some other things that have come and gone, and he didn't get it. Um, he was pretty good. Now this is a. Oh, I just thought of this. This is a Suicide Squad. Fucking uh, before there was a Suicide Squad. Uh, was it before? Yeah, I think. Remember, was this after? I think it was before. But anyway, you know, you have Harley Quinn and uh, Deadshot. They both were better in Suicide Squad than they were in this. Let's just put it that way. Um, I thought he was pretty good as Deadshot. Um, so that I, I don't know. I I think. Uh, I'm going to have to see him in. He was in that one movie that was based on the true story about the guy that wanted to become a, I think a, 
stock trader or something and he was poor but he was taking the classes and he had the little boy who was his real son in real life um that was pretty good um i know people complained about that one because they said you know if you're taking care of your son you know he would they would be sleeping in a bathroom and all this shit he goes you know instead of pursuing becoming a uh a trader on the stock market maybe he should have went out and fucking got a you know a job to and stop worrying about pursuing his dreams and take care of his kid i don't know um let me look at some other stuff here with uh will smith that because uh, i know i've seen him in others he has some charisma maybe this one just wasn't that great let's see as an actor will smith i never was into the bad boys movies and there's a bad boys four coming out so somebody like that motherfucker bad boys for life and bad boys four um i liked him as deadshot he was good in, in concussion the movie about the uh the football players with the concussion syndrome where he played dr bennett amal amalu who um i just was watching some stuff about uh the concussion thing and uh, mike webster uh who david Plett was played by david morse in that movie Focus, like I said, that was the one I was just talking about. Uh, yeah. It was okay. It was. It just wasn't anything great. Um, I liked him in the original Men in Black. Um, but in, in that, he was even kind of going like sort of the Fresh Prince sort of persona. You know, kind of a, the funny kind of thing. He can do that. Uh, I Am Legend, like I said, I liked that movie. I liked him in that. Um, I would like to see that movie with some more with uh like you know how george lucas uh kind of went in and touched up and redid star wars with more modern cgi i would like to see i am legend done with uh more modern cgi because i think the um what do you whether you call them zombies or whatever they were i think that they would definitely look better and they would definitely look better than the ones in Omega Man, but that's, you know, I mean, my God, that was back in the 70s. Pursuit of Happiness was the one I was talking about with the the stock trader thing. Hitch, again, he's he's good in those kind of light comedies. Um, I, Robot, uh, what was the one up here I just saw? Him? Hancock, I, I kind of liked that one. I liked how, I liked the concept of Hancock. It was funny, but I also like it was a superhero thing, um, but done in a different way. I Robot, I really have only seen like little parts of that when it was on TV and my friend was watching it. Oh, wild, wild west. Wild, wild fart. Uh, <laughs> Enemy of the Estate, he was good, but Gene Hackman really carried that one, I think. Um, so I don't know. Let, let me let, let me ask you uh, another thing that uh, maybe get some feedback from you guys. What is your... Um, some of you like your favorite will smith movies and how what how do you what do you think of him as as an actor uh and if you want to chime in on on some of the stuff like uh maybe like your uh, uh james cobe recommend some james coburn movies to me or low for the even the rest of the group um oh let's see here oh here it is uh we have a phone number now if you want to leave us some feedback uh it's 636-323-9960 and um like i said uh, uh maybe some of you that want to call in and just uh pick a movie that you've seen recently and let us know what you know give us a, a recommend i know we get those recommends on the group but there are you know it's like 
GGTMC. I mean, there are people that listen to the show that aren't on the group and vice versa. Um, so you can maybe give a little, uh, you know, a, a recommend. Uh, and uh, if you have someone, like I said, we were talking about James Coburn. Um, I don't know. Any, any, uh, somebody that you really maybe have just discovered that you really like, or maybe somebody that's an old favorite. Uh, and, you know, let us know what you think and why why you like that person or maybe one one or a couple of his movies that you like, definitely give us a shout out on the um, phone line, which I probably should call here in a little bit just to make sure we keep it up and running. If some of those, if you don't use them, that's what happened to the old one. If, if you don't use them, they disappear. But um, anyway, um, where's that piece of papier? I wanted to give a shout out because since I'm doing a solo episode, I did not want, I don't have the... Um, the uh, promos or whatever for different people's shows that we like to give shout out to our friends. Uh, we have uh, Talk Without Rhythm podcast. That is El Goro, uh, who is a true gentleman and a good friend uh, and a very fit. And uh, this guy, let me tell you something. If there was a modern Hercules walking around uh, with the Viking spirit, and a heart of gold that is El Goro Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Uh, like I said, he uh, is reviewing um, the day after with Jason Robards. Uh, that was a uh, made-for-TV movie back in the day. Which back then, I mean, again, uh, the hype for that when the commercials and everything had everybody fucking scared. Uh, now I know a lot of people watch it these days and say, "Ah, it wasn't that big of a deal." And uh, the movie Threads, which was on a list in premiere magazine that I had a long time ago, the most disturbing movies of all time. Um, uh, love that album uh, with Modus. Um, the, um, he covers oh, all kinds of music. Uh, I've been on there a few times uh, with Morris. Uh, one thing that I always had a problem with is I enjoy like some of the albums and the music that I've grown up with, but I'm not a musician and I, you know, uh, so when, when I was on there, we would always pick a movie that had, uh, a really good soundtrack, like maybe Quadrophenia or, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that we did, uh, Quadrophenia and, uh, rock and roll high school with the Ramones. Uh, we would pick, uh, uh movies with a, with a really, uh, famous rock and roll soundtrack, but, Morris also has some people on there that know their fucking music. They know the old shit. They know the new shit. They know uh, instruments and uh, all that stuff, you know, uh, and very knowledgeable. So check that out. That's Love That Album. Uh, We have The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since uh, 19... 42, something like that. Uh, that's Will and the Samurai. Uh, Will from Canada and Samurai, the Kentucky Samurai. Uh, two of the best guys that you'll ever want to meet and two of really close personal friends, um, guys that I met. Um, just discovered their podcast one day. I was looking for a movie podcast for free 
and uh, found them. And I, I remember I was taking, I think, my cat to the vet and uh, found that um, he was a white cat and had blue eyes. And one day, and he was outside all the time. He did not like being inside. He would live on the porch and under the porch. And he liked to go outside and walk around the yard and hunt and all that stuff. And uh, he got really sick. And I uh, was scared to death. Um, because every place, okay, he had blue eyes and white fluffy hair, but like inside of his ears was pink and his nose was pink and his tongue and gums and everything. And everything on this cat that was normally pink was yellow. And I was like, oh my God, you know, that's jaundice and, you know, his kidneys or whatever must be shutting down. Well, I don't know if somebody poisoned him or what, but I got him to the vet and they took him in and they were treating him and I sat in. Uh, the um, uh, not waiting room. Well, you know the op, uh, the the um, the room they take you in when then they take your animal back in the back to work on them and you're sitting in there by yourself. And I listened to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Have been a fan ever since. Uh, and got the opportunity to talk to these guys uh, and really become close with both of them. And um, have hung out with them and just had a great time. Uh, Loaf and I, uh, I think we got a lot of our inspiration, of course, from the podcast, from Will and Sammy. And um, it's been a, a, it's one thing, you know, when you get on Facebook and you're on there and uh, um, to, there's some people that, you become really good friends with that you talk to every day, but because of, you know, geography, you know, they may be on the other side of the, of the world. And, uh, it doesn't mean that you're not close and that you don't, you know, care about them and your friends and everything. Uh, but you know, uh, sometimes, you know, you get to meet some of these guys in person and it just, it's, it's really cool because we, like we said before, and when I was talking about this, these horror hounds that are coming up and some of these events like that, um, I know that when we first started going to these and we got like, there was a couple, uh, about two or three of them where we got people from all over and they all came and it was like a big family reunion. But the funny thing was, and I think Sammy even said the same thing. He goes, you know, you you talk to some of these people almost on a daily basis, but then when you go and you're meeting them for the first time face to face, for about the first two minutes, there's like this kind of weird, awkward thing because it's like you realize, okay, I don't even really know this person, but I do. It's like online dating where you, you put the cart before the horse. But then another thing, what I think, and I've, I'm pretty sure it was Sammy that said this. He said, you know, like the first minute, you're kind of like, hey, how are you? You know, hey. And then within like less than a minute, it all just disappears. And, and, and all the formalities of the face-to-face are out of the way. And you're just Sammy and Will and Loaf and Zom and, you know, everybody else. And, and we all just, you know, just fall right into the same thing that we fell into, you know, when we talk every day. So it was almost like, you know, strangers, but strangers that you've known for years, you know, so if that makes any sense. Uh, next uh, one that we got coming up is uh, Paleo Cinema. That is the Frost Giant 
in uh, from down under uh, who uh, has the uh, Paleo Cinema podcast, which is one of the best, uh, most informative podcast uh, about cinema that I have ever listened to. Uh, and um, the thing I like about uh, Terry's podcast is he is a, you know, I hate to use the, I guess some people would say the cliche or whatever. He is a true cinephile. Um, he covers older films, which, you know, I like old films, new movies and everything, but, uh, especially now that I'm getting older and everything, I, I, uh, the nostalgia and, but not only that, because some of these older films, um, like the, 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 um, what was it? The Shoes of the Fisherman with Anthony Quinn. It's an older movie. I had never heard of it and I had never seen it. It's like going and finding, uh, a, uh, uh, a lost gem and some of them even though they may not be great but you're like fuck man I've never heard of this James Coburn movie I need to watch this and you watch it and you're like shit man that was pretty fucking good I'm glad I got to see it almost like a completionist thing or whatever and he covers a lot of that he also um, uh, covers um, the music in um, these movies and uh always has some behind the scenes things about each of the movies and or the actor or you know something that was going on or they didn't get along or they did or this person that person and you almost feel like you're getting an education but it's not i've had some podcasts that i listen to that i kind of end up dropping that were almost academic uh where they it was very dry and I lost interest in them, but I don't with Paleo Cinema. And his other podcast is the Martian Drive-In podcast, which covers a lot of sci-fi and um, um, just some kooky, crazy sci-fi. Uh, maybe a little bit of horrorish, horrorish. But um, I enjoy those because. Um, Especially the ones with, um, like, the older sci-fi, uh, Planet of the Vampires, and um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. What was the one with Leslie Nielsen where they had the id and, uh, Jesus Christ, Earl Holloman? And I cannot believe that I can't remember that. Or Klaatu, and that was another movie. But, but you know, it's the <coughs> old, old science fiction movies, old... Um, you know, horror or science fiction. I enjoy those kind of things. So that's another one you might want to check out. Again, I said the suplex multiplex with uh, the cinemasochist, Justin Oberholzer. Justin is a true cinephile also, and he digs deep and uh, is uh, edumacating himself on all kinds of cinema. And uh, Justin is a, well, I guess, uh, I don't know if I should speak well, I think he actually told me this, but I don't know if I would want to say mentor because I know I'm pretty sure that he, Roger Ebert uh, did not, uh, they weren't like hanging out or whatever, but I know um, Justin really uh, looked up to and liked uh, Roger Ebert and his film reviews. And so uh, I'm, I have not gotten a chance to uh, check out the suplex multiplex, but I'm going to get on here and add it to my, um, um, regular podcast uh next one is uh justice first dawn now if you are a member of the uh gentleman's guide to comics uh 
or any of the other, you know, my God, there's all kinds of comic book uh, groups on Facebook, and I belong to, I think, all of them. <laughs> um, but uh, Justice First Dawn is uh, a podcast done by Mike Peacock, a.k.a. the former, I don't know if he's the former, but he will always be in my heart, Metal Mikey. Goddamn Nat. Not Mikey. Uh, that was an actual Nat on my notebook. My um, Gannat. I think I have some pet Gannats in here. I don't know where they're coming from. Uh, so anyway, Metal Metal Mikey, Mike Peacock, uh, has Justice First Dawn podcast. And he uh, covers a lot of uh, where he gets in there and um, looks at old issues of the Justice League. And uh, I'm trying to think if he covers... I know it's Justice League, and he really goes back to, like, the fucking golden era and stuff like that. And he can come up with some shit. And, I mean, it is stimulating conversation because in a lot of those old comics, they have some characters in there that some of them I have never heard of, but that are fucking pretty, pretty goddamn creative in a hilarious way. So anyway, uh, Justice First Dawn, and again, uh, Mike Peacock. He is another salt-of-the-earth guy. I haven't seen him in, a, in quite a while, and uh, hope that one of these days we will all be able to get together and we can hang out and talk about wrestling and comic books with my mean man, Metal Mikey, and his lady. Um, let's see. Oh, well, shit. Here's a couple more movies that were at the bottom of the list, uh, or at the bottom of the uh, thing. I watched, uh, and I can't remember if I talked about these the last time, but I will just mention them because they are on the list. Charlie One Eye, which is a Richard Roundtree movie that he did after Shaft. It's a Western. Uh, this is one that I uh, saw a long time ago when I was a kid, and I liked Richard Roundtree. Well, when this one came out, this is not a movie that I think a... a um, grade school or maybe uh, a, a um, junior high kid would like or understand if they like Shaft and then you're thinking okay man it's another Richard Roundtree movie you know it's gonna be like Shaft and then you see and it's a western well I remember watching this when I was a kid and I think I was in grade school and I didn't understand it I back then you know cowboy should be the good guy and then you have a bad guy and he outdraws this guy and da 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 and everything well this is one of those um kind of a revisionist western it's it's a western that is a deconstruction deconstructionist western where uh the good guys aren't really that good if they're good at all and they're kind of assholes and the place is dirty and shitty and and um it's violent and nasty and but now that I'm older I watched this I found it on iTunes cuz I didn't even think they would have it I thought it would be out of print this was really good and it's uh it's one it's the kind of uh, western that turns the old west on its ear that I kind of like now like dirty little billy and uh the movie doc with uh Stacy Keach uh, there was a lot of them like that that came out in the 70s where they said, okay, you know, fuck John Wayne and um, um, Randolph Scott and all those guys. We are going to make, uh, they, they were like some younger, uh, the younger generation, almost like the the um, um, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper. I mean, they even made some movies like uh, Mad Dog Morgan and um, The Hired Hand. 
And um, I'm trying to think of Warren Oates had some ones. The the uh, what was it? The not the the killing with Jack Nicholson. And um, there was another one that he did with uh, I know Warren Oates and uh, um, Warren Oates and Peter Fonda had a couple of westerns. And at that time, Dennis Hopper, I, I remember he was talking about it um, in an interview I watched, and um, they came up with after Easy Rider, um, the studio came up with an idea. These these studio systems came up with an idea and they said okay easy rider uh came out and it was a small budget and it made a shitload of money so what we want to do is we want to get some of these young up-and-coming talent that they would consider like uh counterculture people like dennis hopper peter fonda and guys like that we're going to give them a minimal budget and a certain period of time to make a movie like uh, so many weeks they have to stick to that budget stringently and stick to that time frame and they can make whatever they want and I think um, Monty Hellman made Two Lane Blacktop Dennis Hopper made well he made the, the last movie which pretty much fucked his career <laughs> for a long time um, but also The Hired Hand Reap the the whirlwind. I think uh, was I don't know if that was that might have been Peter Fonda and Warren Oates uh, in that one. But he said none of the movies at the time when they were made. He said it was a spectacular failure because none of the movies at the time when they were made were hits. But then over the years they have become cult classics. All of those movies they were done well and they were good movies but at that time people I remember seeing a lot of those movies at the drive-in Two Lane Blacktop uh, um, like I said those westerns like uh, uh, Reap the Whirlwind uh, Hired Hand um, and um, I think that one with Warren Oates and Jack Nicholson was really good I keep wanting to say it's The Killing but then every time I say that it it reminds me of the uh, Sterling Hayden uh, movie. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up, and then I'm gonna let you all go. See what I'm saying? Because we got a communication going here that needs to end. <laughs> I haven't even looked at the goddamn clock. Oh, she. Bacaro was good with uh, War Notes and Lee Van Cleef. That was a that was a hidden gem that I had never seen, and I think I watched that on goddamn Crackle or something. The shooting, not the killing, the shooting. That was a really good one. That was Jack Nicholson before he became really uh, big and famous. And man, he played... That was one of those movies that... He was such a fucking asshole throughout that whole movie that it made you mad. I mean, I was mad. I hated that motherfucker. But that's a good one to check out. I haven't seen that one. Ride in, Ride in, the, whir, in the Whirlwind. I was saying Reap the Whirlwind. Ride in the Whirlwind. That was also Jack Nicholson and... Um, who else was in that one? Dig it. I'm going to help you out. Cameron Mitchell. That's who was in that one. I knew that. And Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, that's another thing about uh, some of those movies like that from that time period. That was 1966. And like I said, I think that was when. That was a Monty Hellman. Um, that was when they were making some of those movies. And you'll go in there and see like a Harry Dean Stanton or, or some of these people that... Um, 
that ended up becoming like mainstream fixtures in um, cinema. But at that time, they were considered the the kind of the young counterculture, you know, making um, um, movies about riding motorcycles and smoking pot and doing acid and shit like that. Um, I did um, get into some, there's a lot of really good interviews with people online on YouTube. Uh, I watched a fairly decent uh, Q&A with Jim Jarmusch. Uh, and he was talking about making the movie Dead Man with Johnny Depp and um, Lance Henriksen was in that too. Um, watched uh, a, a few really good ones with Dennis Hopper about making uh, Out of the Blue and uh, making the movie Tracks, which is another favorite that I found a long time ago at the VHS store. I actually went in there when this one VHS store, I think, I can't remember if they were closing or if everyone saw this blonde woman with big boobs. She had bleached blonde hair and big boobs. I would go in there and hang out all the time, and I had a crush on her. But at the time, I was probably only like 19 or 20, maybe 19. And um, um, I would go up there and hang out, and I wanted to screw her so bad. And she was really nice, and of course, I was too bashful and shit to make a movie but i got to know her and we would talk all the time about movies and i went in there one time and i told her i said if you ever like when you're switching these movies out you know the ones that don't rent or whatever because they only had so much room um they would sell these off and i said that movie tracks with dennis hopper well i went in there one time and um i think i wanted i didn't tell her that i wanted it uh, but I went in and they were getting rid of some of the movies and I asked her about it and they had already gotten rid of it or something. I was like, shit. Because back then, you couldn't fucking get these movies except out of a catalog. Um, and I have that one catalog. I have, I think, two of them down in the basement. This was before the internet and you got these big catalogs and some of those movies were like 99 fucking dollars. Some of them were like 20 but back then, when you didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of, and I would eat like go, go to the grocery store and get a pack of hot dogs, four cans of baked beans, a pack of hot dogs, and hot dog buns, and a two-liter bottle of Coke to last me the entire week, um, and I had no fucking money. You know, going and well, I had enough money to go to the arcade, and I had enough money to rent fucking movies. But you know, I would I would rent like maybe uh, uh, a couple of movies a week. At uh, and I can't remember how much they were to rent if they were a dollar ninety nine or ninety nine cents or something like that, and then go and put like a dollar. No, if you put two dollars worth of gas in your car, because this was back before you could you had the debit card and you could scan it and just do it all at the pump. You had to go in and pay. So, in my brain, if I if I bought two dollars worth of gas to put in my car, that was okay. But if I only had a dollar, it was embarrassing, so I wouldn't do it. And um, even if it was change, it had to be at least $2. Because back then, fucking $2, if gas was only, say it was $0.99 a gallon, and all you were doing was, you know, I'd walk up to the college. You know, I only lived a couple blocks away, and I just need enough gas to to, uh, maybe go to the mall to go to the arcade or something like that. Oh, they ever go back in time now. I'm babbling on. But anyway, uh, she had gotten rid of tracks um, already. I was heartbroken because of that. I, 
that's funny how you can just be so into somebody. I had another woman that worked at a lingerie store. Now, this was before Victoria's Secret. She opened a lingerie store in the mall. And she was cousins, this girl that I worked with's husband, the girl in the lingerie store, she owned it. So she was the only one there. She opened it up and she closed it every night. Um, that was the girl I worked with's husband's cousin. And, oh, she was so hot. And I would go down there and talk to her every fucking... And I was working. But I would hang out there while I was supposed to be working. And she was so fucking hot. But she was one of these ones. She had a boyfriend. And it was the love of her life that she had been boyfriend-girlfriend since they were in, like, junior high school. And he got killed or something in a car wreck. And she was so fucked up. I talked to her probably a year or two ago and I was telling because now you know who gives a shit um, she was a little bit older than me at the time but she looked like a fucking model and um, um, I talked to her on Facebook and I even told her I said oh my god when you owned that I said I had the, the biggest crush on you I said I swear to god I said and she goes I never knew that and I said why do you think I hung out down there like 24 7 I was there all the time you know for hours when I was supposed to be working and she goes well Kim told me that she thought that you were in love with me but she goes I didn't think she goes I didn't think you'd want me and and then she said she goes you know she goes I was so screwed up because of my ex and you know I think I can't remember I think he got killed in a car wreck or something like that or got paralyzed or something or I can't remember what it was but she was so messed up she goes and and she goes I I would was she said I wasn't any good for anybody she goes I was so messed up and I don't know if there was I, I, I can't remember the whole story and I'm, I'm babbling on here but it all had to do with tracks <laughs> with Dennis Hopper well actually she didn't she had to do with me having a boner and the other chick did too I don't know uh, I always wonder whatever happened to some of these people now the one girl um, she's she's like I said I mean if I'm as old as I am I think she was maybe like five or six years older than me so at the time you know that's a big age difference when the woman's like 30 and you're like fucking 20 you know, if it was the other way around, that's I've done that before where, you know, I'm older and the girl's like maybe nine nine years younger than me. And that's after that's when I was in my thirties. That's not like Max Hardcore shit where I'm twenty and they're fucking ten. <laughs> but anyway, so we got all our plugs in. We got our rest in pieces to uh our our uh fallen Sonny Lambdens and <laughs> our fallen racists and Jerry Lewis and uh, Toby Hooper got all that stuff in. Um, I went again. It's my day off, and I'm just bored. And I turned the air conditioner off this morning because it was kind of cold. And now I'm burning up because it warmed up outside, and I am almost sweating. So I'm going to let you go. Loaf and I will be back with a proper podcast uh, soon enough. And um, thanks for hanging in there with us. And like I said, our number is 636-323-323. 9960. That's 636-323-9960. Love to hear your feedback, questions, and give us some, uh, you know, let us know about some of your cinema crushes, maybe some of your cinema heroes. Uh, those, those, 
those actors and actresses that maybe one time in your life you just started watching a a um, Spencer Tracy movie and you were like, man, I want to see everything this fucker's in. So you start looking up everything about... I did that with Dennis Hopper. I did that with Stacey Keach. I did it with uh, like Burt Reynolds. Um, I'm trying to think who else, but uh, Elaine Delon, um, Charles Bronson. I mean, there's all kinds of people like that, but just somebody that you... you um, um, Bruno uh, Kramer, um, but somebody that, that you just got interested in when you first got into cinema and you wanted to uh, find every fucking thing that that guy was in. James Coburn, uh, um, you know, uh, Aldo Ray. I'm just trying to think. And you know what's funny is I'm just naming nothing but male actors, but like Claudia Cardinale. Um, um, I'm trying to think who else that I was I was really into. Joan Crawford. Um, um uh, Ingrid Bergman, I fucking just fell in love with her with, from um, Anastasia. And um, hmm, who are some of the other ones? Meryl Streep, uh, my God, when she was in The Deer Hunter, um, I, I just was like mesmerized because um, she was just so good in that. And, you know, people always talk about Walken and De Niro, but Meryl Streep was just so fucking good in that. And I think that might have been one of the first movies she was in. John Cazale, I mean, he's not a woman, but that's another one that's like, oh, man, you know, he wasn't in that much, but it's just so... Harvey Keitel, Joe Don Baker, all these guys that just kind of make up uh, when you first start discovering uh, movies and, and uh, you know... Um, Russ Meyer and some of his actresses, <laughs> but even directors and things like that, where you just let me know about some people that you became interested in when you first became interested in cinema. That when you first saw him or her, uh, or saw a, a certain director, that you decide you were like, okay, I want to seek out. All this, all the movies that this person did. Here recently, Richard Roundtree. I started looking up Jim Brown. Started looking up a lot of their stuff. Anyway, but that's that's something that I was just kind of thinking that I'd like to hear from y'all, yins. And um, I'm going to sign off now. Let's see how long we've been going here. It's probably a long time. Oh my God, three hours on a solo episode, right on the dot. So I'm going to hang up now. Let you all go, and I appreciate your supporting uh, Loaf and I in the Silver and the Gold the podcast. And if you want to leave feedback, I don't have the email, but it's six three six three two three nine nine six zero Steiner. 